No, I saw no 0.0 USFL. Not because I'm opposed to it. I, I think it's fine. I, I actually feel badly uh, for uh, football players. I have seen this many times, uh, like firsthand, where a guy comes in, uh, a reputable NFL player, uh, maybe he's been out of league for like half a season. But he still wants to play. Nobody will sign him. Comes in with a little duffel bag. Gets like 15 minutes to run around in shorts in front of a coaching staff that is losing anyway. So uh, who, who knows what their opinion is worth. And, and then they tell the guy, hey, yeah, thanks very much for coming. Here's a plane ticket home. Uh, you know, we'll see you next time. And, and so it, it's very borderline guys that make it in the NFL and guys that don't. And as a professor was pointing out on Friday, and, and he's probably right about this, he, he was talking about uh, every offensive lineman that has pro capabilities is already in the NFL. <laughs> Otherwise, you're just taking fat guys out of a Wawa, you know, and saying, hey, uh, Joe, put that sandwich down. I got a contract for you. I'm going to give you two dimes to play for the USFL team today. The time. Wake up with Defoe, joined by Luby. Welcome to the Defoe Show. And a very pleasant good morning, everybody. Great to be with you here on the Defoe Show. Jeff DeForest and uh, the traveling man himself, Mr. <laughs> Mike Luby Lubitz. And we thought we'd do something different today and wake up early in the morning and do a show. Uh, good to see you, Luby. You look good. You look refreshed. Uh, how are you, my friend? Uh, did you get that tan in Greece or were you out yesterday just getting some extra sun uh, as you were uh, trying to come back and get back on uh, normal Eastern Standard Time after gallivanting all around Europe uh, for the last week or so. How are you, my friend? I am well, sir. It was a great trip. I got all the sun from there, even though it's not as sunny there as you'd hope. It's not as warm there as we had hoped. Uh, we had a great time in Athens, Santorini, and Mykonos. Anyone who has a chance to go to Greece, I say go. The food's spectacular. The people are great. Almost everyone speaks English, and the weather's phenomenal. It's a gorgeous country. We had a great time, and I'm super happy to be back. How are you, sir? Very nice. I know I'm good, and I know you like to channel your inner Anthony Bourdain, much like <laughs> the Gamble Gourmet Mike Mayo does. Um, so what was the strangest thing that you consumed? Uh, was there anything that you could not identify that you ended up eating while in Greece? <laughs> See, I was going to say the Greek food here is very similar to the Greek food there. So it okay. was a lot of euros, a lot of kebab. A lot. They don't do hummus. They do it straight up fava beans, which I, which is uh, chickpeas and nothing else, which is not as good as hummus. Um, right. But it's that's it wasn't like shocking. It wasn't like when I went to Thailand and ate like the bug that was freeze dried. Like it was pretty much what you go to a Greek place here. You it's what you get there, but a little bit better. So nothing weird. All right, sounds good. Well, I'm glad you had a good time, and you and the lonely Shirley are still getting along because yes. uh, uh, that can also be a prohibitive uh, concept uh, that uh, you would travel. Uh, but you, you seem to do well, uh, very well together. Whereas, uh, on the other hand, uh, my experience has uh, sort of been the, the exact opposite. Unless we're at a gambling destination, and that usually works out well because we separate and do completely different things, and uh, maybe maybe meet when it's time to get on the plane, and then we have an argument. But uh, we'll see how that goes with this uh, pending trip to Italy, which now seems to be very much uh, suspect as far as uh, actually uh, going on the trip and completing it. But anyway, it's good to be here, and uh, wow, did, did we uh, miss a sensational week? Mike Luby-Lubitz, all of that buildup that we had to the NFL draft. Now, we had to move a couple of things around because uh, of your travel schedule. I guess you got back so late. 
yeah. on Sunday night that it, it really would have been a problem for you to get up and whack up a show uh, yesterday. And we would have had John Congemi with us yesterday. Yeah, but he is going to join us today yes. for Dateline Dolphins as uh, after all of the conversations that we had about the National Football League draft. Maybe it would be a good idea if we actually uh, did some kind of review. And, and we have a couple of people that will be addressing that today. Now, now it, it was somewhat irrelevant in our hometown here uh, of South Florida because the Dolphins did not have a selection until the 102nd pick, which isn't exactly the most romantic position to be in when it comes to alluring a lot of interest from fans. I don't even know who they picked, but uh, apparently uh, they were very satisfied. And the people that do this grading, uh, Pete Prisco, I was just reading his analysis of the draft. But most people thought, well, geez, considering what happened there, uh, we gave the Dolphins like a C. Yes. Uh, I, I don't know what that really means because the, the Dolphins draft essentially all went towards uh, getting Tyreek Hill onto their roster. And if you're thinking that Tyreek Hill is a huge difference maker and probably would be better than having five or six different prospects, I, I don't know, how many draft picks did they trade in all for Tyreek Hill? Uh, they they ended up four? with no first-round pick this year, no second-round pick, yeah. and uh, they had a third-round pick that was kind of supplemental uh, that they acquired in another deal. Yes. So uh, they did uh, enhance their roster with a couple of young players, Obviously, that, that is a very important component of any kind of success that you would have in the NFL, albeit the uh, Rams went in the exact opposite direction and loaded up with veteran players. But if you're going to have success over the long term, you, you probably need to dot your roster with any number of players, especially with the salary cap and the money that you're having to dole out for quarterbacks that are out of their rookie contract. And uh, the sensational amount of money that's being paid now to uh, offensive linemen and wide receivers uh, you uh, are going to have to have some players that are functional that are operating under rookie contracts and league minimums and uh, getting the scaled out payouts that you get for getting drafted in the third, fourth, fifth round. And so uh, that that has to be, I would think, a component of success. Uh, apparently, the Dolphins did all right in that category. Uh, I guess the strangest of it was now, now were you able to follow this uh, yes. when you were over in Greece? I, yep. I, I watched a, a little of the first round of the draft. Actually, I saw quite a bit of it. Uh, and uh, even though the Dolphins had no entry, uh, it's always interesting to me that you could get a panel of experts. In this case, uh, ESPN was my source. Uh, I know NFL Network was also carrying the NFL draft. And they had Booker McFarlane, mm -hmm. who had that failed experiment uh, as a Monday Night Football analyst. Although he's a pleasant enough guy, it's too bad that it didn't work out because he at least has a little bit of personality yep. that he adds into the equation. Louis Riddick is Mr. Scientist when it comes to all this <laughs> stuff. And is there anybody that knows more about football than Louis Riddick? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, what the hell is he saying? I, I mean, it's like uh, he's got every theory and piece of analysis possible and all of this stuff based on his own experience as a player and an executive. Oh, and then when he gets done, I have no idea what the hell the guy just said. <laughs> Nothing. It sounds good. It's not like he doesn't speak well. He's very eloquent. And, uh, you know, he seems to present his position in somewhat of a logical fashion. But he, he says so many things in the span of 30 seconds that you have no idea what the hell this guy is talking about. And then uh, they had Mike Greenberg, who uh, is a big Jet fan, but uh, has been wrong about virtually every game that he's ever predicted in his lifetime. Uh, yep. Seems like, uh, you know, a decent professional mm -hmm. television talent. I mean, you can't knock the fact that he's very capable of hosting these sort of things. And he, for the most part, stayed out of rendering opinions. But uh, when they did have all three guys rendering an opinion, uh, this third pick is coming up. 
And I, on the first pick, everybody was uh, pretty much convinced uh, they knew uh, who the Giants, I mean, who the Jacksonville guy. Jaguars yeah. were going to take. And uh, then the Lions were going to grab Hutchinson uh, because it made a lot of sense. Uh, obviously, yep. the guy's from Michigan. He's going to play in Detroit. And, uh, you know, an outstanding player. Most people had him rated as the number one yep. guy uh, throughout all of the draft process leading up to it. And then the last week or two before the draft, all of a sudden the emphasis shifted and he ended up going number two. Now, uh, they get to number three. They're only on the yes. third pick in the draft. Yes. And Booger goes out and names about seven players. And says, yeah, yeah well, they could go this way, they could go that way, and they might go big, they might go small, or whatever the heck he was talking about. Yep. And then Riddick gets up there and names off about 10 possible uh, moves that could be made. And uh, sure enough, uh, Greenberg weighs in, uh, says a couple of things, and, and then they select like a guy that nobody mentioned. <laughs> Even though- Oh, yes, it's Derek Stingley. The guy who was yeah, a monster two years ago, but the last two years has been, he tapped out from COVID and then got hurt. So he was like a guy that was supposed to go mid late first round. <laughs> right, so, so they're all stunned there. Oh, what are we going to do? Uh, and and that's kind of how it went. I mean, throughout most of the first yeah, round, first round was weird. of the draft, everybody was completely mystified. Uh, and the most mysterious pick of them all, of course, was Bill Belichick trading down in the first round and then taking a guy that uh, everybody had projected to be like a mid-fifth-round player. Yep, Cole Strange. And everybody's <laughs> like, whoa, well, you know, it's Belichick, which which it is Belichick. That's what you have to realize, yeah, that this guy man, has man. been phenomenal yeah. at finding these kind of players. Uh, did we mention Tom Brady is going to be 45 years old, and he's going to be playing this year for Tampa Bay, but uh, still pretty clever pick there by uh, old Bill. And uh, he, he seems to do pretty well at stocking his roster with the kind of player that fits that he wants, yeah. the scenario. I know you like to uh, consider Julian Edelman to be a system player, <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with being a system player if you're a really good player in a great system. Yes. And you can't help but be sure. a system player if you're going to play for Bill Belichick, because if you're not playing by his system, you're not playing. Mm-hmm. So uh, he, he grabbed a guy that had completely stunned everybody. And, uh, you know, once again, you, you have to wonder uh, what was Belichick just uh, basically outsmarting everybody? Or is he getting to that uh, sort of point where you're a borderline senility as a coach and an evaluator and you start to outsmart yourself? Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know. I mean, well, we'll see what happens with that. But uh, uh, that was probably the most mystifying pick uh, of the uh, first round of the NFL draft. And then after that, uh, I really didn't pay too much attention to it. Uh, it seemed like uh, everybody was uh, enthralled with what the Baltimore Ravens did. I, I believe the Ravens selected every player in the fourth round. <laughs> no other team had a pick in the fourth round. No, that was great, man. Uh, they had like six fourth round picks. What the hell were they doing? I don't know. But um Mel Kuyper, who's uh, like a Baltimore uh, guy, I guess he lives in Baltimore or uh, is from Maryland. And uh, he's, uh, you know, biased uh, a little bit towards the Ravens in terms of his his fan interest. But he said, well, you know what, without any kind of, uh, you know, judging based on the fact that I like the Ravens organization and I root for the team, they aced it. And, And most people agreed that the Baltimore Ravens seemed to be the sharpest of drafters. And that's sort of been a consideration that people have had in the past, but um, we'll see what happens. Nobody really knows uh, what's going to go on. The uh, quarterback thing was kind of uh, interesting as uh, most people thought too, also that uh, Malik Willis, the guy from Liberty was going to be going in the first round somewhere. And he went one in the third round, uh, like, and late in the third, a lot of people bypassed him and uh, Kenny Pickens. It'll be interesting uh, talking to uh, John Kajemi, who of course was a Pittsburgh quarterback. And the lone quarterback selected in the first round oh, it was Kenny Pickens going to the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
I, I would think that that would be a dream situation for anybody play that, that played at the University of Pittsburgh. You don't think that Dan Marino wouldn't mind of being drafted by the Steelers? Yeah, I mean, he already Well, there. I think he liked living down here a lot better. Overall, I think it worked out for Danny Boyd, don't you think? I think Marino's very happy, but um, Pickett, you would think he's already used to that area that, that they those fans really like him. They're big fans of his, and the Steelers are just one of those organizations that always find a way to support their quarterback. So th- there's a reason why Roethlisberger was there forever and very happy. I, I don't see why that wouldn't change. I don't know what pick it is as a quarterback, but for him, he should be geeked. I mean, you're going to an organization that knows how to win and consistently. Look, Mike Tomlin's never had a losing season. <laughs> like, that's impressive. So as a quarterback, that's the kind of thing, the sport you want. Sport two we didn't get the first time around that he's hopefully getting out. Well, we'll see about that. I mean, uh, that continues to be the big debate. Uh, and uh, now uh, the conversation is strictly... Well, if he doesn't do it this year, he's done. No, it thank ain't you. ever going to happen, right? Well, they were saying you. that about uh, Zach. Don't call me Hack Wilson. The uh, Jets. Uh, wow, what happened to the Jets organization? Did they suddenly get a little bit brighter? The draft was good. Their first uh, round was amazing. They did a really good job in the first round. And they got your guy from Florida State there late uh, after trading up to move into that spot. Yep. And they already had uh, selected, what, fourth and seventh uh, in the first round of the draft? And And, and most people were impressed with the way they handled that. Yep, their fourth and tenth picks were really good. And then Jermaine Johnson should have been the top 10, 15 pick. And there was a run on receivers and offensive linemen that pushed him down the board. So he went to a team in the Jets that wanted him badly. They traded back in. I mean, I don't know about the rest of the draft, but their first round was really good. they, they, They did legit. Yeah, everybody was uh, impressed with what they did, which is, uh, you know, a, a considerable turnaround from previous drafts where I, I was waiting for him with that fourth pick to take a tight end. I, I really was. Some stiff of a tight end that uh, was never going to amount to a pile of shit. It was going to be the uh, Jets' first-round pick in their first selection, and then maybe they trade out of the first round and end exactly. up with nothing. But uh, that would have been typical. Uh, holy, we Eubank. That would have been typical of what was happening in the past with that team. So uh, well, we're getting into that later on. Uh, Brett Tester, the agent of the star, is going to join us uh, later on this hour. And then John Congemi brought to you by Jimmy Johnson's Big Chill at Mile Marker 104 in Key Largo, which would be a nice place to be uh, with this uh, heat wave that we're having coming up this weekend. Just sitting in the pool there, sipping a couple of cocktails. Uh, John's going to join us uh, between 8 and 9 o'clock today. Now, many other things happening, including last night. What on earth was Doc Rivers thinking? He's getting kind of a free pass on this, somewhat of a free pass, but up 29 in the clinching game against Toronto. Now, the 76ers had thrown in a couple of stinkers. They go 3 nothing on Toronto, and what was the uh, talk at that point? Was that, well, no team's ever come back in NBA history <laughs> from a 3-0 deficit in a playoff series. So what happens? Toronto, like, annihilates uh, yeah. the 76ers in their first possible clinching game, yeah. goes on the road and, and just wipes out the 76ers in the next game <laughs> while they have Embiid and James Harden and, per- and Maxie, and they're all healthy. Yep. There's no excuse, and you're thinking, what's going on out there? What the hell is going on out there? Yep. The old Vince Lombardi thing, right? What the hell is going on out there? Was that Lombardi? No, yes. that was uh, Oh, that's the Chiefs that was Frank Stram- the, I mean, Hank Stram. Hank Chiefs Stram, coach, right? Chiefs coach, yeah. Was that Hank Stram? Yeah, yeah. What the hell is going on out there? Yes. And uh, so now there are four minutes to go, and uh, Philadelphia is up 29 points in game six uh, against Toronto in Toronto. So you would have to think that there was just an absolute release of uh, all anxiety by the people that were uh, behind the 76ers organization that, uh, okay, 
We weren't able to get it together. This wasn't going to happen. Van Vliet was out for Toronto, so uh, there was an added advantage for the 76ers. Uh, one of their best players, if not their best player, uh, Fred Van Vliet, who was having uh, a very yeah, good, good season, uh, awesome. you know, doing great. So, um, you know, and, and they were in pretty good shape there. Uh, Philadelphia, uh, up 29, four minutes to go. Uh, do you know what the record is of teams up 29 regular season, postseason, with four minutes or less to go in an NBA game? Do you have any idea they what the uh, one-loss record is? Like, the Heat were up 19 last night with four minutes, and even I, I was still yelling at the TV because the lead dwindled down to 10 and it annoyed me, but I knew they wouldn't lose. Like, you can't lose 29 up by, like, it's impossible. I don't even No think. team in history has ever lost a 29-point yeah, lead in the final four minutes of Miller an NBA game. is out there pushing people and hitting threes. Like, you're not giving, I mean, that's not possible. I don't give a crap. So so here's the question, and uh, all you can say is, holy Gino Ariema, <laughs> yeah, what yeah, on yeah, earth yeah, yeah, yeah. was Doc Rivers thinking with his starters in the ballgame? And especially Joel Embiid, who had been nursing an injury throughout the series. He had a bad thumb. Why is he on the floor with four minutes to go? Your team is up 29 points. And, and I don't usually get too heavily into this. Uh, with REM, it applies, right? Because uh, the, uh, the the girl, uh, Beckers, I, I guess we want to call her. Uh, it, it looks like Bukers to me. But, yeah, uh, that's how it's Beckers, spelled. Paige. Paige yep. Beckers. Yep, 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 yep. Best player by far. Yeah. On the UConn team. You saw what she did later in the season when she came back from this knee injury. Yep. And uh, she got hurt in a game where with like a minute 30 to go with UConn up 70 <laughs> over the little sisters of the poor that they were playing. And everybody's like uh, aghast. I, you know, and this is a Gino Ariama thing. He doesn't care. He wants to crush the living daylights out of even the most pathetic and, uh, you know, non-competitive opponents. Yep. That's always been his thing. And, you know, he leaves his starters in the ballgame. I, I don't know. Does he not trust anybody on the bench? You would imagine that if you're sitting the bench for the University of Connecticut women's basketball team and you were recruited there somehow by Gino Ariema, that you would have some semblance of talent that you should be able to go out there and, and at least complete the job when you're on the court in garbage time. No, uh, you know, I mean, how, how much of a jeopardy can it possibly be to the possibility of winning a ball game if you have some subs in there and you're up 70 points honestly and you would think what i mean what would be the worst thing that can happen rivers pulls Embiid with four minutes to go the lead is 29 it gets down to eight yeah yeah that's what with 30 seconds and he throws them back out there okay you know you you might take a look at that but uh, anyway so he gets elbowed in the eyeball and uh, basically uh, i would think uh, took the 76ers right out of any chance they had of winning the series uh, against the Miami Heat, who uh, didn't look great last night, trailed by one and a half time, and then uh, got it rolling. And you had uh, what Tyler Hero, your man, had Hero a big game finally Hero. after yep. very subpar uh, first round of the playoffs. Yep. Uh, you had all the depot in there because uh, uh, Lowry was out, and uh, it was funny too because people were actually making comparisons and saying, "Well, you know, Philly's missing Embiid, but we're missing Lowry." I mean, come on. How many players would you have to throw into a deal for uh, Joel Embiid if the principal uh, that you were offering up was Kyle Lowry? Uh, how many other <laughs> components would have to be a part Hero, of that deal? Maybe Bam, too. <laughs> maybe a piece of the franchise. What are you talking about? I mean, Mickey Harrison would have had to throw a cruise ship into a deal to, exactly. to give Kyle Lowry up straight up for uh, Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid. And, uh, you know, probably, what, uh, maybe half of his uh, multi-zillion dollar fortune? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, to get somebody to even talk to him on the phone. Okay, I want to trade Lowry for Embiid. So uh, that was uh, a pretty lame argument that was uh, being posted up there by a lot of people on social media. They're, well, you know, we don't have Lowry. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah, you don't have Ronnie Cycli either. Exactly. So. I mean, Lowry's important. Don't get me wrong. And this is what they got him for was this time. No, yeah, he's good. Yeah. But you, they have Oladipo who can fill in. <laughs> like that. You're, you're sh- taking a potential MVP of the league out of the lineup yeah. there, and uh, you know we know that. Almost everything that Philadelphia does is contingent on uh, Joel Embiid. Yes. You have James Harden. You have this kid, Maxie, who's blossomed. You have Very a well. few other uh, very functional role players. But uh, nonetheless, uh, they, they are nothing without Joel Embiid. Well, it's in MB, you said so it's Embiid this well, year. Like, the dude, by all accounts, should have been, I mean, could have and should have been the MVP. Like, it's not even Embiid in the past where... Well, what didn't he lead the league in scoring? He was I think great he ended in everything. leading the league in scoring. Everything. Shot a, a phenomenal percentage also. He was great. And uh, he was a monster all year. And, and the fact that he was banged up uh, before, uh, you know, the, this even happened with the orbital bone fracture that he suffered uh, around the eyeball, all of a sudden he's out there looking like Sugar Ray Leonard, right? Yep. With a detached retina and his eyeball is hanging out uh, on his chest. And uh, you're thinking, Doc, how could you possibly have this guy in the game? I mean, that, that may go down as one of the bonehead moves of all time. And uh, Rivers, who's a nice guy and, you know, makes a good account of himself. I mean, uh, is there anybody out there that says, oh, I hate Doc Rivers? He seems like a very reasonable, passionable, you know, passionate man. Uh, but, uh, you know, how on earth could he have this guy in a game at that point when no team has – it's like 2,479-0. and 0. Teams that are up 29 or more points with four minutes to go in a ball game have never lost in NBA history. Not one time. Never. Not losing the game. I mean, that game's not getting lost. Look, Doc, and we know you said it, he's – He's done a lot where he's given up series leads. He has. I mean, with the Clippers and with the Celtics. He's just, this is, it's something that he's been a part of and he wanted to make sure they won. Okay, so keep Harden out there. You can't keep Embiid. Embiid's had health issues his whole career. I, I, I don't even make sure they won. You could throw anybody out there. You could have <laughs> you you like. taken Iverson out of the crowd <laughs> at, at 240 pounds and uh, he, he could have exactly. played. You could have dug up Pearl Washington. I, that I sent them out there. And they're not, you're right. They're not talking because I wasn't here for Dr. that. Dr. J could have played a few minutes and still preserved the I heard that he wasn't playing. That was what I heard about Embiid. So I was like, huh, I know he had the thumb thing. I'm like, maybe the thumb thing. And I've heard like sort of, because I was, my internet worked overseas. So I would keep track on Twitter of life. And I'm like, okay, I guess he got hurt. And I, he was in late, but I didn't hear that they had just, they were, I didn't know they were up 29. <laughs> <laughs> he should have been fired right, right there. That's Doc Rivers. Uh, as much as I like Doc Rivers, they should have fired him on the spot. I mean, uh, the owner of the Philadelphia 76ers, who is it? The guy that makes the jerseys or whatever? He made himself a fortune, young kid. I don't know. Uh, should have just walked right over to the bench. And, and uh, like he was Jack McKinney in, in winning time, just fired him right on the spot. <laughs> After banging a couple of chicks, which is uh, how they have uh, positioned Jerry Buss in that particular show. I've been watching more of that lately, Luby. I haven't watched it since... I last told you, all I've seen is really bad things. Like <laughs> no one's happy, happy at all without. No, people are finding it wildly entertaining, though. That's the funny part. I mean, if you just completely uh, warp, suspend uh, the concept of everybody's uh, personality and uh, also their persona, also, um, yeah. I mean, it's it makes for great entertainment. It really does. I mean, Jerry West is still uh, just a outright asshole in, in the show, and I. I <laughs> And Pat Riley doesn't make a very good account of himself. I mean, uh, seems like a, a self-driven, uh, just, uh, you know, stay out of my way. I'm going to steamroll right over you uh, kind of uh, outrageous prick. No? It seems like Maybe they- he had to be that way from a competitive standpoint. But I, I don't know that he was absolutely, you know, actually backstabbing 
guys to the uh, level that they make it appear uh, in the show. Do you think? Is that how he made it? I, Pat I, Riley, I, I know Pat Riley's bodies? always been very driven, and we've always heard different accounts of Riley. So I'm sure to get to where he's been, he's done some gruff things. But it feels like this show takes the snippets of things we've heard about guys and just blows it up to like an insane proportion to where it's hard to even compare reality and this thing. See, see, the guy that's playing Pat Riley, and I don't know the actor's name. He's uh, great. He's should, won if I was Oscar. Make this comment, but he's really good. Just not Riley. <laughs> no, but, but I mean, he, he looks more like Joe Pepitone. Exactly. I mean, he's got this weird exactly. nose that makes him look nothing like Pat Riley. Yes, he looks nothing like Zero. Him. I mean, the sophisticated, very handsome, dashing Pat Riley, one of the greats of all time, being portrayed as, uh, you know, a kind of uh, a weirdo jerk in this show. Uh, I, I do like the fact that Jerry Buss, I mean, bangs everything. Doesn't care, yes. Yeah. Now, that seems like real to true. <laughs> that like, probably was true. That, that might things, have been yeah. on the level there. We always yeah. heard of that. about Riley, he still wore the velour jumpsuit into, like, the 2000s. Until he passed, he wore the freaking velour, the velour tracksuit. So, like, yeah. I mean, that seems like they sort of hit it on the head. The rest of it seems like, okay, whatever. Pretty far out there. All right. Uh, Lakers not in the playoffs, and uh, that is, uh, I- I'm surprised ESPN hasn't uh, had uh, somebody analyzing how the Lakers would have done had they made the playoffs. <laughs> because they uh, cannot, and, and the Knicks hard. too, I mean, uh, you know, another team. Uh, the Knicks not so much. Uh, everybody wants to uh, know what would happen if the Lakers would have been in there. They probably would have beaten all of these teams. Uh, Jean versus uh, Steph Curry, uh, fascinating stuff in game number yes, one. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, that was a wild series. Uh, Jean Morant, uh, just a, an incredible series against the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, especially late in ball games. I mean, you talk about a closer. Wow, this, this guy was unbelievable. Now, he missed the layup there yeah. at the end of the uh, first game against Golden State, and maybe that, that was poetic and some kind of uh, you know justice in that uh, they, they stole a couple of those games from the Timberwolves in a late going. And the Timberwolves really had themselves. I mean, uh, if they're just banging their heads against the wall all off season instead of playing golf, uh, I, I don't know if the players care that much. Uh, you know, uh, they're getting paid, uh, you know, $50 million a year anyway. But uh, if they do care, wow, they, they really uh, have to be holding their head in their hands after they, they dropped a couple of games that they were in a great position to win. And uh, otherwise, they win that series four games to two. And uh, I, I thought they had a pretty good season. It might be the curse of A-Rod. That's in play there. <laughs> there you go. Their owner. <laughs> Although A-Rod, how can he be cursed? I mean, this guy's lived a charmed existence, is he not? Yeah. Uh, for a guy that, uh, you know, uh, uh, how could you be any more popular? Did you see Lance Armstrong anywhere? You're not oh. going to find Lance Armstrong uh, chowing down on a Subway sandwich and having Serena <laughs> stop by and go, hey, Serena, would you like to try the tuna? <laughs> when have you seen Steph Curry or anybody of uh, even modest Never. stature by comparison? Never. Hanging out at a subway and then, like, you know, just hanging out with the guys, right? Hey, I like the way you're putting those peppers on the sandwich. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. All right. Uh, so, and Golden State, of course, uh, now looms as a factor yes. in the West. Devin Booker came back for the Phoenix Suns uh, and he got back into that series surprisingly uh, against the New Orleans Pelicans, who, who were showing some signs of life and uh, looked like they might be a threat to knock off uh, the number one seed. Chris Paul with an amazing game in a clincher, 14 for 14. From the field, and then I don't know how he ended up last night. I think he had 19 points in the ball game, first round uh, or second round game, first game uh, against the Dallas Mavericks. But uh, he started the game six for six, so he had canned 20 straight playoff shots from the field. 20 straight. Can you imagine? I mean, uh, you talk about a guy that knows how to play his game and uh, do it efficiently, and uh, you know, and not have to uh, go out there and do uh, you know a zillion. 
chucks from three-point range where he's one for nine and ends up somehow with 27 points and everybody's singing his praises. 20 for 20. Yes. He had 20 straight shots from the field in, in playoff competition. Chris Paul, there's a lot to be said for that. Doncic uh, was insane last night. Yeah. I, I think they used the philosophy, which, you know, some people say, hey, we have to shut down Doncic and then let the other guys beat us. They went the opposite way. They said, we're going to let Doncic beat the crap out of us, and everybody else is going to get nothing. <laughs> That's what happened. Uh, and it worked uh, last night for the Phoenix Suns, so uh, they took a 1-0 lead also. And it begins tonight, and uh, this is going to be great. I know. Almost everybody to a person has the Panthers winning this first-round series. Very few people ESPN. have them winning the Stanley Cup, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, someone at ESPN, supposedly, because I saw a thing on Twitter, ESPN is treating the Panthers like crap and had the Panthers losing the first round, which I thought they was them going on the first round. Yes, that I thought was interesting. I'm like, come on, guys. I'm like, look, I get it. You never know in hockey, and the Capitals are a legit team, but didn't they end up with 100 points themselves? But this isn't, I mean, come on. This team's been one or two, and then they finished with the one seed in, in all of hockey, the President's Trophy, which they've never done. They were one or two all year long. Like, you can't assume that they're going to lose. Like, this team has everything. And Ekblad, by all accounts, should be back, if not by game one, sometime in the series. He's been practicing with the team. Like, so you're getting one of the top defensive players in all of hockey, one top defenseman. This bet we have with Mayo should be loser leaves town. It really Yeah, yeah, we shouldn't lose this bet. If we lose. I mean, uh, I'll give Mayo credit. He's playing into impossible odds. The Panthers are uh, big favorites. I, I think you have to lay over three to one. If you're betting on the Panthers to win the series, uh, and uh, you're getting plus 260. So, in essence, uh, we're robbing Mayo blind when it comes to the odds uh, on this wager. And, and uh, for the uninitiated, if you're just tuning in to the show and saying, what the hell is this? Uh, Mike Mayo, the gambling gourmet, who joins us every Friday, has stipulated, because the Panthers have not won a playoff series since 1996, that they will not win this one. They will go out in the first round in spite of the fact that they had uh, beyond I mean, it's not a Cinderella season because uh, it didn't come out of nowhere. They were in there last year, competitive against the Lightning in the first round. Lightning went on to win the Stanley Cup championship after beating the Panthers in six games. But it was a hockey bloodbath, Yes, that first-round series, yes. as many of these series, uh, including the initial round, tend to be. This isn't like, okay, we're going to make Trey Young look like Robbie Benson in one-on-one, <laughs> like the Heat did. Or we're going to beat the 76ers without Embiid. Doc, what are you thinking? This isn't anything like that. No, no, it was a, it was a war that series, and that, that's well, why and uh, you know this uh, this series against the Capitals. The Capitals weren't horrible. I mean, no, no, uh, they're, they're, they're and, and I was just reading, that, and I don't fully understand what what the hell uh, what was the thinking? Did uh, whoever uh, conceived the playoff concept uh, for the NHL get hit in the head with a puck before he sat down to do uh, you know the uh, arrangements? Because right. uh, you know it, it's possible that. The, the top teams eliminate each other in the first round, which is what happened last year with the Florida Panthers. Well, they the Maple the Leafs in the first round. aren't the Maple Leafs like top four or five in all of hockey, <laughs> and Lightning had to face them in the first round. Yeah, like, they got a taste they got of their own medicine from last they got year. Got <laughs> yeah, they should be playing like like some like schlep joke, team that like, barely qualify, right? Well, the West sucks is what it is. It's like the Avalanche and then a bunch of garbage. And then, like, the next, like, eight best teams are all in the East. <laughs> but the, the way they, uh, you know, did it before, I guess uh, the uh, format changed, I think, in 2014, I was reading. Okay. And, uh, you know, they used to have a real good system where, you know, the first seed played the uh, eighth seed. 
and then they reseeded the uh, uh, brackets. But they mm-hmm. wanted to go with like some kind of bracketology, so they came up with this cockamamie scheme, which only could happen in hockey without anybody uh, being up in arms about it, because they just say, "Yeah, what the hell? It's hockey." Well, yep. what do you expect? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it really is detrimental because uh, a lot of the really good teams get eliminated in the first round, where, where otherwise they would be having uh, much more of a uh, easy road through round one, and, and then you would have better teams squaring off in the second round. So uh, a lot of experts, though, uh, have the Panthers. Uh, you know, most of them have the Panthers uh, almost to a person winning this first round series against the Caps. Many of them have them uh, being eliminated in the second round of the postseason. So we'll see what happens. We only have to get through round one and then we cash in on a dinner at runway yep, 84, yep, yep, yep. which is a uh, fancy schmancy. Well, it's not really fancy schmancy. It's actually kind of a home style restaurant, but a great place here, a legendary place here in South Florida. And uh, if they can sweep, I think we get in under the wire there before they uh, shut down for renovations. Been in existence like 50 years, this joint, and, uh, you know, they're going to fix it up. Uh, and, you know, so Mayo may get off the hook there. But uh, we will not settle for uh, any of his other uh, cheesy alternatives, uh, i.e., uh, speaking of cheese, Skyline Chili. That's not happening, Mike. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we lose this, though. We should have to leave town, Luby. Yes, yes. I totally agree. I mean, I, I, a dinner uh, is one thing. But buy the guy at a dinner. Here, here, here's 500 bucks. Go knock yourself out. But we, we should have to move out of town if the Panthers lose this opening round series. Are, are, are you okay with that? Yes, I agree. Yes, the Panthers should win this series. Bag the, the show? Can we do the show from, uh, like, Toledo? Where, where can we go uh, that uh, we can hide from the shame and the indignity of being wrong about this, which uh, I can't imagine what would be the case. But uh, that starts tonight. We have the watch party. Are you in? And have a little watch party, people. You want to join us out there Thursday for game number two. Mm-hmm. As uh, hopefully up one nothing, the Panthers will uh, put another dagger in the heart of one Mike Mayo and a dent in his wallet. As uh, he he's doing all kinds of crazy things too. He's like hedging bets. Oh really? And then he's he's gonna <laughs> wait for the Panthers to win game one and, and and then bet the Capitals in the series. Oh my god! I mean he he's going through like uh, you know gambling uh, complete mashugana yeah, gambling uh, paranoia. I yeah. love it. That's great. <laughs> this on the threshold of the Kentucky Derby coming up, which can drive you crazy. Also, yeah, trying to figure out what you're gonna do with your money because if you can put it in the right place. You can definitely make a score. We're going to be talking more about that also. They had the post-position draw yesterday for the Derby and the Kentucky Oaks. That's happening at Churchill Downs over the weekend, Friday and Saturday. Luby's been there. It is a spectacular. Nothing like it. And uh, from a degenerate standpoint, uh, there is never, never. I mean, you can talk about the Powerball and these $300 million jackpots that you can't get your hands on because the chances are so uh, severe against you. If you can come up with some kind of reasonable concept, or even just get flat out playing lucky and hit the derby, it is your best bet ever. I mean, everything pays way more than it would under normal horse racing circumstances. You have a 20 horse field, and I would have to say I've been lucky enough to be the benefactor of uh, several large trifecta payoffs yep. in Kentucky Derby history. Enough that it may be the one sporting event, Luby. That I'm ahead lifetime. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Might be by a small margin. Because, uh, you know, it's not like we're betting a ton of money. I mean, uh, I'll put up a, a stick with another guy and try to, you know, cast a big net out there and hit something big. But uh, it is your best wagering opportunity. Even if the favorites win, you still end up in uh, really good shape. All right, we're coming back with more in a minute. Uh, I'll be down at Hylia Park for the fights there uh, for the uh, Kentucky Derby. That's going to be a great time. Looking forward to that. Uh, and I'm going to catch the Derby down there in the Champion Simulcasting Room. A great place to go. 
and then catch the boxing card as well. That's happening at Hylia Park. More details on that to come. Brett Tesser, the agent of the stars, coming up in a moment here on the Defoe Show. Now that. The time. 7.36. If poker is your game, you're covered in style. And you can play all your favorite Vegas-style games, including blackjack, craps, and roulette, in Hylia Park's sizzling hot casino. Get a player's card when you walk through the door for all kinds of generous amenities, including our favorite, free play. When you come out to the ultimate casino and entertainment destination, Hylia Park. These days, we're all looking for comfort anywhere we can find it. Thank goodness for Landlubbers Raw Bar and Grill in the plantation location because they are making sure you are as comfortable as possible. You're going to have the best wings in the world. You're going to have a great burger. You're going to have their amazing soups. Again, Landlubbers Raw Bar and Grill. It's nice and easy. Just go to landlubbersbarandgrill.com for both your pickup and free delivery. Thank goodness for landlubbers for making you always feel right at home. Catholic Health Services is committed to care that changes as your needs do. Our full continuum of services is designed to be there throughout your care journey. If you need assistance with daily living, post-acute care following a serious health event, or additional medical care at home, we also offer skilled nursing and palliative and hospice care. Your care needs may change, but our commitment never does. Catholic Health Services, South Florida's number one choice for post-acute and end-of-life care. Visit catholichealthservices.org. Simple pleasures of this job. The way a stadium sounds when one of my players performs well on the field. The way we are meant to protect them in health and in injury. Less, more attention, caring for them, caring for ourselves in the games too. The agent to the stars, the one and only Brett Tesler. Welcome back to the show, the Defoe Show here on uh, Ion Channel. Jeff DeForest and Mike Luby Lubitz, and we welcome to the program. Joins us every Tuesday at this time, and uh, we weren't uh, able to connect with him last week, so we're good to have him on this week, post-draft. The agent of the stars, the great Brent Tester, joins us here on the show. Brent, how are you, my friend? Mandy, I'm doing great. Glad that I survived last weekend, and uh, just looking forward to a little downtime now. Yeah. All right, so what do you think? I mean, uh, there's so many uh, opinions, so much is said and written, and, uh, you know, so many conversations about uh, the NFL draft and who did this and who did that and what's going to happen. Let's uh, start here. Uh, In comparison to what uh, the prevailing wisdom was going in about what this draft was going to be about, uh, how do you think it equated out? Because it it did seem like, at least when it came to the very top of the draft, uh, with a few exceptions, most of the guys that were being bannered about as being the top picks ended up being the top picks. Yeah, it really, unfortunately, was not a very compelling draft. I mean, you had, number one, a lot of teams that didn't even have a pick in the first round. So, you know, that certainly played a major part in the um, viewership numbers being substantially lower than uh, what they had been over the last few years. And then you didn't really have a franchise quarterback or as was the case in some of those last few drafts, numerous franchise type quarterbacks. So I just think there was very little intrigue, uh, very limited um, talent as you started going down the line, at least as it relates to uh, uh, marquee value. And so for those reasons, uh, I, I don't think it was probably one of the better drafts. 
uh, for fans to watch. But like all drafts, you can't judge it based on that night. Judge it two years from now, and who knows? Maybe this will wind up being one of the greatest drafts ever. Well, yeah, I guess, you know, one of the big uh, surprises, you know, was that uh, Malik Willis, uh, the Liberty quarterback, who a lot of people thought was going to be the first guy uh, selected. Many had him uh, even going in the top 10, uh, teams coveting his services. And this guy, like, like dropped to uh, what, like a midway point in the third round before somebody took a shot on him, uh, you know, and how could people be that far off in, in an opinion of a guy that uh, obviously what was a high-profile player and it was a guy coming out of, all of these workouts and combines and, you know, all of the uh, pre-draft assessments as, uh, you know, somebody that was really, uh, you know, uh, going to be a spectacular pick and maybe uh, the future uh, quarterback, franchise quarterback for some team that was in desperate need. Apparently, Dave, it was really probably just a bunch of media hype just because, you know, as the draft nears, it's it's clearly one of the more exciting topics for people to discuss and write about and talk about. And so because of that, uh, obviously, uh, there's a need for quarterbacks to sort of be in that mix because, again, it is the, 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 the penultimate position in our league. And so as you approach the draft, you'll see a lot of people – um, in the media, people, you know, websites, things like that, fans, maybe hyping these guys up a little bit higher than they actually should be as it relates to their potential as NFL prospects. And, you know, that's the thing people need to remember. You know, what makes the draft so unpredictable is there is a big difference between a great college player and a great pro player. And obviously some of the greatest college players in history, uh, not mentioning any names, Tim Tebow, um, just do not do not translate to the NFL. And so then there's other guys who maybe nobody heard of. Maybe they came from a smaller program. Maybe their you know career just hasn't the light just hasn't gone on yet. And all of a sudden everything clicks for them when they reach a certain age. Um, some of those guys emerge as way better pros than they ever were in college. So that's why just the entire process is such a crapshoot and why it is so fun to see who pans out and who doesn't pan out. But if you spoke to most people within the league, like I did, there was really no quarterbacks in this draft to get excited about. And so nothing surprising as to where somebody may have dropped or even if they didn't get drafted at all in this one, because as desperately as the media tried, to portray some of these guys is again would be franchise solid first round type guys. Aside from uh, you know Kenny Pitts, it, it looks like uh, there really wasn't any others. From our only NFL agent to the stars, Brett Tester. Thank you to well and trust attorney Michael D. Wild. Okay, Tester, let me ask you then: Where does the media get this information? Because Jermaine Johnson was a guy that out of Florida State I thought would be a first round pick, and he was. And they, by the end of it, I'm going top seven. Um, and he finished off being drafted in the mid-20s. The Jets traded back in to get Jermaine Johnson. Like, a lot of people say, oh, that was just media hype. And I, I didn't understand that. Like, where does the media get this information? They just pull it out of the rear to try and draw attention? Like, I thought when the media comes up with these stories, they're talking to NFL people. And NFL people are giving this information. And you're saying that's sort of not what happened. Like, then where do they get this stuff? They just pull it out of the rear? 
So therein lies an even greater problem. They would have been better pulling it out of their rear <laughs> because when you talk, when, 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 when you talk to uh, NFL executives and front office type people leading up to the draft, as a member of the media, you can never assume you're being fed the okay. truth. And the reason why is because there's so much misdirection going on. You will have, <clears throat> excuse me, front office people uh, telling media people that they absolutely love a guy that they may have no interest in whatsoever. So maybe it forces another team to step up and draft that guy sooner, leaving a player that the team that originally said it may want to drop to them. On the other hand, a player that a team really likes they're telling media people, yeah, we don't like him. Uh, we don't think he's got the tools for the next level. We don't trust his character. You name it, they'll say it in the hopes that maybe that player will drop to them. So, um, again, you know, in the case of a guy like Kenny Pickett, who we talked about before, that's an example of a guy who pretty much went about where most reasonable people would have expected uh, obviously, being a pit quarterback and going to the uh, uh, Steelers, uh, that's a great fit. Uh, but again, you know, this is far from a perfect prospect. This guy has tiny, tiny hands, which for a quarterback is a legitimate issue, potentially, especially as you start to get late in the season in the colder weather. So um, there's just so much overall misdirection that goes on and subterfuge, whatever you want to call it, leading up to the draft that. Uh, any media members that get any type of information uh, from front offices or coaches or anybody like that leading up to the draft, at this point, they should know that they can't trust anything they're being said, and it should all be taken with a grain of salt. I always love uh, anatomy analysis uh, when it comes to the NFL draft, uh, especially, I mean, uh, I'm surprised that they, uh, you know, stopped short. He, he was uh, holding hands during uh, the process there with uh, an attractive young lady who, you know, I, I would assume was his girlfriend. Uh, she seemed uh, overwhelmingly uh, joyful when he was selected by the Pittsburgh Steelers. But uh, and then they go into this whole thing about uh, how small his hands are. <laughs> And I, I'm surprised they stopped there, right? I, I, you know, I thought maybe they were going to throw in a little Donald Trump type of theme there and <laughs> say, yeah, yeah, no, but the other thing is large. And, and they go to the girlfriend. I mean, how weird is that? I, you know, I mean, the, the guy, obviously, I mean, how, how different uh, the, the college football, I guess, is a little bit smaller than the Duke there, or if they're mm -hmm. still using that as the pro football, uh, you know, but th that seems like an easier ball to throw. So um, how significant could that be? And, uh, you know, when, when that became the issue, uh, you know, you even had like Booger McFarland. I thought he was going to unzip his pants uh, at some point. <laughs> <laughs> and say there was no equation there. Oh, I my mean, God. Uh, was an insane, uh, you know, piece of analysis for a guy that looked like he had distinguished himself pretty well as a collegiate, no? So um, basically, yeah, yeah but it, it, like you said, the football is a little bit different. And uh, things are uh, happening a lot faster in the NFL. And again, uh, in the NFL later in the year, in many cases. Now, of course, you know, playing for Pitt, he faced some bad uh, weather. But, you know, I just pulled it up. Some of the quarterbacks in the league who have smaller hands, Joe Burrow, nine inches, pretty small. Patrick Mahomes, nine and a quarter inches. Again, kind of on the smallish size. Uh, but Kenny Pickett's eight and a half. That's really, really small. And so um, that may 
be the smallest starting quarterback in the league in terms of hand size. And again, it really does play a role as it relates to ball protection, uh, being able to grip the ball when you have to tuck it and try to reload in, uh, in sub-zero, freezing, slick, rainy weather late in the season. So, you know, it, it, it could certainly be an issue. I can just tell you this. I think a lot of the things that people debate before the draft are nonsense. Uh, I think this is actually something that did play a part and should as well. Brett Tusta, the agent of the stars uh, with us here on the Defoe show. And uh, uh, I, I watch, you know, with, with interest pretty much the first round. And then the only pick I find significant after that is Mr. Irrelevant. And you represented a Mr. Irrelevant at one point in time. Uh, I mean, that distinction actually carries a little bit of weight, does it not? Uh, it does. And personally, it was probably one of the most fun experiences I've had as an agent uh, to fly out to New- Newport with my client and his family. And uh, they do an amazing job there. Uh, of course, Mr. Salata, who uh, founded Irrelevant Week, passed a few years ago. He was a real uh, a real gentleman. And uh, they do an amazing job uh, in terms of the, the events they have for you. They have a parade. That they have a regatta. They have the day at Disney that we went to, and I mean, they shut down the ride for you. We literally cut right in front of Nicole Richie to go on the teacup ride with <laughs> nice. my player and his family. Nice. And everyone's like, you know, looking at us, standing in line like they want to kill us. Like, who the F are these guys? And so, uh, you know, it was it was definitely a, a neat experience for sure. And uh, I hope this year's Mr. Irrelevant enjoys it as well. All right, sounds good. Uh, Michael D. Wild, he, he's certainly not irrelevant. And when it comes to things like wills and trusts and estate planning, uh, that uh, you know, is a very important component to have in place. Uh, Michael D. Wild, uh, the best of the best when it comes to those sort of things. Yeah, just the best estate planning attorney in South Florida. And you can find him at SouthFloridaWills.com, uh, as I have, as Defoe has, who thousands of people down here in South Florida who've used his services have. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that you want to keep procrastinating. It's something you think you'll deal with next week, next month, next year, whenever. But it's something that really hangs over you and your family's head. And once you get it taken care of, it just gives everybody such a peace of mind. Reach out to michaelwild.floridawills.com. All right. I know you're uh, busy today, Brent. Thanks so much for taking time to be with us. Uh, Always a pleasure, my friend. And uh, best of luck with all your clients and uh, the teams that they uh, sign with. And uh, thanks so much for joining us here on the Defoe Show today. Pleasure, guys. Have a great week. Thanks, yes, man. All right. Thanks a lot. Very excited here, uh, Louie, about a couple of things. John Kajemi coming up. Uh, We moved John from uh, Monday to today due to the fact that uh, travel considerations. What time did you eventually get home, uh, Louie? One thirty-two. Two in the morning. All right. Well, that's not bad. I, I don't know. I've lined up and played uh, under those circumstances. <laughs> well, I mean, I've uh, come in at one thirty, yeah, two in the morning uh, many nights. And, uh, said, oh, fuck, got a show to do. No, <laughs> it's very exciting. Saturday, uh, going to be the doubleheader, one of my favorite doubleheaders uh, of all time. Uh, we used to go to the uh, Mandalay Bay there, the MGM Grand for fights, Cinco de Mayo. Uh, we know that Oscar De La Hoya was always fighting on the Cinco de Mayo cards, and if they didn't have Oscar, they had somebody else. But that first Saturday in May, uh, which it often was, uh, based around, and that's going to be the running of the Kentucky Derby. So uh, yes. we would watch the Derby and go crazy there in the uh, sports book and then uh, go straight to the fights, and that's what we're doing. Yes. Uh, coming up this Saturday. 
Yes. That's uh, May the 7th at Hylia Park. Are you in, Luby? Are you going? I'm in. Of course. Sounds ridiculous. Okay. Yeah, because uh, I was thinking about it on my uh, walk of life the other day, uh, and I was thinking, how great was it to get Luby the first time, or anybody for that matter, especially ringside, at their first yep. ever live boxing match? Now, people have a variety of opinion about uh, opinions about uh, blood sports, so to speak, and, uh, you know, sports that involve a concept like, hey, that the aim of this game is to knock the other guy out. And I understand that. I've been a boxing fan somehow inherently my entire life. I don't ever remember not being a boxing fan, and my earliest uh, instincts were to study the sport. I love the history of it. Uh, everything about it. I always did for some reason and, and still do. And, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, there, there's nothing more exciting, too. I remember the first time going to a live fight. It was just, wow, what, what a whole different experience it was uh, than uh, watching fights as much as I've watched them on TV over the years and invested. I mean, think about it. If you could have the money back from anything and you felt it was justified, it would be the money that you would get back from all of those Floyd Mayweather, those Floyd Mayweather pay-per-view events that you paid for. Oh, when he was yeah. In there, uh, oh, my God. Yeah. Right? Never mind uh, the horses or uh, sports betting. Give me my money back from those Floyd Mayweather fights, and I'll be a happy man. I'll go to my grave satisfied that I was not financially screwed at any time in my lifetime. Exactly. Uh, But this is going to be great. And and a sensational lineup of Latin stars, Cuban stars, going to be involved here. And you know that's going to get the fans, and I like it. They they go crazy there. Uh, It's just a dynamite atmosphere, and uh, I think the weather is uh, predicted to be very – this doesn't necessarily guarantee it. Because the weathermen uh, often completely dead wrong, but uh, <laughs> I did see a little graphic because I'm interested, obviously, yeah, yeah, in yeah. Uh, you know hoping things work out well for my friends there, Frankie, and the people that are staging the event at uh, Hylia Park. And it was bright sunshine, not a cloud in the sky the whole day. Okay, so if that's the case, then we're in for a really spectacular evening outside under the stars. After the Derby, hopefully you made a big score. You'll have like 10, 11 dimes in your pocket, and uh, you'll be buying drinks for the house there because they're all going to be reasonably priced. All right, tickets uh, online, uh, hyaliapark.com. Uh, you can get tickets uh, for the event at the box office as well. Uh, going to be great. Uh, Victor Abreu, that young kid, man, that everybody's talking about. Uh, all the gyms. You go around the gyms there, Luby? Remember you were going down to the Fist Street gym? Yep, yep, yep. Guys like you him. You probably yep. heard the buzz about this kid, Victor Abreu. Yes, man, when he gets in the ring. It's going to be something. So, uh, And we've seen uh, the, these people, Henry Revolta, Louis de Cubis, and, uh, of course, the great Leon Margulies uh, develop all kinds of great talent. And now we bring them here to the United States. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. Roberto Duran. What do you mean? And the card's going to be, like, literally the minute the derby ends, the card starts. Like, there's, like, 30 fights. <laughs> I always love that. That was like a Don King thing. I mean, these guys are taking a page from the great Don King. <laughs> Because, uh, yeah, in Vegas, like, you'd be at the Mandalay Bay, and the Derby uh, was still, uh, you know, two hours away, and the fight card was starting <laughs> at, like, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, like, Vegas okay. time, <laughs> which, uh, you know, I guess is 7 o'clock Eastern or yeah, something. Yeah. But And there, there would literally be, like, eight people in a giant arena watching a world title fight. <laughs> A straw weight or one of those, uh, you know, yeah. like 108-pounders. But uh, still, with like guys that are just <laughs> knocking each other's brains in and putting on a very exciting fight. A- anyway, th- this is going to be a lot of fun. Yep, Looking forward to it. Uh, get involved. Come on out. Uh, if tickets are still available, I- I'm assuming they are because uh, 
Oh, they have, uh, you know, just a great arrangement for it. I, I love the way the seats kind of go gradually up there yep. in the stands. And however they figure this out, they're just incredible. Leave it to the people at Hylia Park to do the logistics just right and market the event perfectly and uh, make it just a great, great night uh, for sports fans. Horse racing in the afternoon there, champion simulcasting room. El Boxeo at night, going to be absolutely fantastic. We'll see you at beautiful Hylia Park on Saturday, May the 7th. All right, so you're in for this watch party Thursday night. I want to invite all it the people sucks. here to I, I the do Depot my show. trivia, but I think people should go. Oh. If I didn't have my trivia, I would 100% go. Like, I want to be there with Mayo Paycheck. to yeah. watch this series. <laughs> like, so bad. <laughs> either way. So either, we're going to be or... at uh, Shenanigans in nice. uh, Dania. Nice. Shenanigans in Dania. And uh, that's uh, right on Federal Highway, just a little south of the airport. Great spot. I mean, they got TVs all over the place, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we, we got a bunch of people to come on out there. That'd be great. And uh, you, you can just give the business all night long the old Ben Dranking <laughs> uh, to uh, Mike Mayo. <laughs> just give it to him I every time the Panthers score. I hope they win this thing like seven nothing. They're like, ha ha. And then I want everybody in unison to go Mayo, <laughs> Mayo. <laughs> I'm losing the series, and I want to go home. Now, if we lose this thing, we're going to have to leave town, right? We really are. Buying mayo dinner is one thing, but uh, he would deserve more because it's almost <laughs> like he's forsaking, uh, you know, and giving us like two to five odds on a team that's favored in this series because he's not taking the price. He just uh, made this a straight-up bet. And, in fact, he's in worse shape because if I went to dinner with you, I'd probably be picking up your tab anyway, Libby, right? I, I so you don't count it. in this thing. And, and then, you know, well, we got to pay for mayo. Make sure he orders off the uh, left side of the menu. <laughs> <laughs> no, where it says entrees, Mike, that's out. <laughs> that's just appetizer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, you could probably get by there with a few of those appetizers. I They're presume. fantastic. But uh, nonetheless, uh, the uh, Panthers are cranking up the series. Uh, that that begins tonight, Thursday's game two. We're going to have the watch yep, yep. party at uh, Shenanigans nice. in Dania. And we'll be out there uh, yelling and screaming and cheering and uh, chowing down on a few things and uh, having a couple of beers and uh, and hopefully watching, you know, I mean, I'm hoping on uh, being on the road uh, heading home by the second period. Up five zip, yeah. That'd be wonderful. Oh, my God. Please, Panthers, please. <laughs> I wanna, I wanna... Please, Panthers. Hooby dooby doo to uh, just Please, put a hat Panthers. trick in Mayo's face. Um, you know, he's not alone, though, in this contrarian opinion. And, and history is on the side of uh, Mike Mayo in this one. Uh, the Panthers have not won a playoff series since that phenomenal uh, original run uh, there with the third year of the franchise there, uh, all the way to the Stanley Cup final that year. It was great. Everybody got into it. It was a big unification thing for uh, South Florida, which doesn't unify easily, Luby. In fact, nobody does anymore, right? No. See the Supreme Court? Oh, that was fun. Out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to do with it. I mean, let's go forward into the past. I, I, yeah, what, exactly. What was that? Fireside Theater? The 70s was the early 70s. They came out with that on a comedy album like 60 years ago. Let's move forward into the past. And that's pretty much what we're doing. Although it's not, uh, you know, a very glamorous past that, that we're trying to uh, attain again. It's uh, all of the negative elements yeah, of it. exactly. <laughs> and that's where we're headed. That's what great. What it is, like. Right? I'm trying. Did Nancy Pelosi, by the way, make it out of the Ukraine? I mean, I uh, she, she she looked like she was struggling to make that meeting with Zelensky. Like, uh, are there bombs going off here? What the hell? Oh, God. My God. 
All right. Uh, what is the world come to? It's Michigan, and that's why we like being in the toy department here, here uh, talking sports. All right. Uh, one, one of the greats, one of our favorites, uh, brought to you by Jimmy Johnson's Big Chill. My marker 104, and that's in Key Largo. The great John Kajemi, the handsome one himself, is going to connect with us in just a few minutes here on a Defoe show. So uh, we'll get more into uh, a lot of things. I know John is a versatile sports fan. Yes. So, uh, we'll talk a little heat. He's probably we'll a little heat. following a little basketball. A little uh, you know, and and we'll, we'll ask him, I mean, what on earth? Yes, that's a good See, question. This is this is an easy, easy criticism to pick up, but but it, it's insane when you think about it. The magnitude of this decision to, to have Joel Embiid in a game when you're up 29 with four minutes to go and, and there's no chance you could have had all five guys leave the court. They didn't have time to score 29 no. points to get back into a tie. No, the did. Toronto Raptors in that final game six against the 76ers, and the Sixers had gone into a coma. For two games, and you thought they might actually become the first team. It looked like there was a chance there. I might have bet on that. <laughs> a chance that they would become the first team ever, 143 and 0 in this situation, yeah. to uh, lose a series that that they were up three nothing in. It didn't happen, and, and they and they annihilated, annihilated the Raptors in this game. They're up 29, four minutes to go, and B gets uh, hammered with an elbow and the eyeball, and the next thing you know. You would have to say right then and there that Doc Rivers helped them lose the next series, no? Yeah, I mean, they, look, that was a one-point game at half, and that's without the guy that Joan was... Rivers wouldn't have had uh, Embiid in the game if she was coaching nah, a team. Nah. Mickey Rivers wouldn't have had it. But if mean, he fanned, this series would be a lot tighter, and I would have a lot more concerns if Joel Embiid was on the on the court the first two games, two to three Did games. you see out of bio last night? It was like yeah, the he was first playing time. his grandson. <laughs> the now, what are you talking time. about? First time. Okay, little was... Johnny, watch me dunk. Boom. <laughs> 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 Gee, Grandpa, that's great. It was insane. It was like when you go to the other basket at the other end of yep. the park there after you got knocked out at a big game <laughs> and, and some guy shooting with his son. And you say, hey, uh, you want to play some two-on-two? <laughs> God. You were just in a game with, like, Dr. J? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that that was, uh, was an actual Maybe, occurrence, I right? You're in a game with Dr. J on one side of the court. The, literally, Dr. J. And then you go to the other side of the court, and because uh, you lost it, you would have to wait like forty guys yep. to get back out there. Yep, it, yep, yep. I mean, if you lost the first game of the night, which you were going to lose, of course, because Doctor J had a stacked team there, three on three. Then uh, you go down the other end of the court, and there's like a guy, uh, you know, that's like five six, all squatty, <laughs> and he's shooting with his son and his daughter, and you challenge them three on three. <laughs> That's what Doc Rivers did to the Philadelphia 76ers last night. We love you, Doc. I mean, you seem like a really uh, sincerely good guy. No, Doc Rivers? Seems like a nice person. I question him as a coach. I've done it before. Now I'm really questioning him. I mean, come on. You, you Literally, I mean, and, and this is a Gino Ariema thing, a Gino Ariema deal where, uh, you know, you, you've got star players. But he does it to, a, you know, just so embarrass the opposition. that This this made no sense. All right, uh, we're coming back. John Kajemi's uh, raring to go. He's in the bullpen here, uh, going to come in, pitch the sixth. How about the Mets with a five-pitcher uh, no-hitter? Yeah, I heard about that Catch when I was that? gone. Yeah, I heard about that when I was gone. First legitimate no-hitter in uh, Mets history, even though Santana had one, but uh, everybody knows that ball was fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, uh, back with more in a moment here on the Defoe Show. Now that. I thought Booger was going to unzip his pants. I really did to demonstrate how one appendage has no association with the other. Trump was in denial on that with the small hand. It's uh, 803. Oh, my God. Hey, folks, Tony Segreto here. What do you look for when you go out to eat? 
good food, obviously, friendly atmosphere, not too loud, but good energy, reasonable prices, and a place where you feel comfortable. You're talking about the Texas Roadhouse. Good for a family, good for a date, or just a night out for yourself, and prices that will make you extremely happy. Their ribs unmatched. Steaks hand-cut every day. Everything, and I mean everything, is made on site, including their incredible bread. Trust me when I tell you, Texas Roadhouse, your restaurant, your destination, when you say, where should we go and eat tonight? From the newly renovated sports bar to the beautiful bayside views captured at the Tiki Bar, Jimmy Johnson's Big Chill has it all. Located at mile marker 104, the Big Chill also offers waterfront dining while experiencing breathtaking sunset views of the Florida Keys. It's simply the hottest spot in the Keys to cool off. That's Jimmy Johnson's Big Chill at mile marker 104 in Key Largo. For more information, call today at 305 305- Four five three nine zero six six. Any time of year, things can happen to your home or business. And the insurance company can be your friend, but they also can be your enemy. Verizon Public Adjusters, Justina Testa, are here for you to help this process go so much easier. Seven to ten times more money recovered with a public adjuster than if you went on your own. If there's no recovery, there's no fee for you call insurance company, call Horizon Public Adjusters and Justina Testa at 954-809-8752. Don't gamble in anger. She hit, <laughs> she hit Very the daily. Very calm. Think it through. Don't if you need a little help, anger. don't gamble in anger. I get, a, I get a panic phone call, and he says, do you have any extra cash? I go, yeah, I brought money with me to Atlantic City. He goes, well, I can't get any more out of the card because the I Mustang went up, wild yeah. and emptied the daily allotment of cash. Double nickels, man. She went for a nickel on her card and a nickel on mine. The best way to kick off your day is with Defoe plus Luby. We now return to the Defoe Show. As I recall, we uh, got out with a horse at Churchill Downs. That's how we made our way out of that fiasco there, uh, the double nickels uh, that were extracted from the ATM machine (laughs) by the Mustang. And uh, I had to run back to uh, cash my tickets because we were leaving the next morning and they were going to close the race book over there at the Borgata. So I made a desperate run uh, back there and we got our 800 bucks and got out of town. We welcome to the show uh, and welcome to the uh, Depot Show. If you're just joining us here uh, and uh, the return of Mike Luby Lubitz, return of the uh, live programs. And there's nothing more live right now than this cat. And that is John Kajemi. As we go, uh, we call it Dateline Dolphins, but uh, it's a very expansing expansive expanding expansive conversation and uh john you're looking great as always thanks so much for being with us here on the show oh good to join you guys today luby how was your trip my trip was great man i greece is definitely a place that makes you feel like uh, you're in a movie like i I, like you see these views like santorini and mykonos it's like okay it looks like you know the screensaver that pops up that you're like where is that Amazing, yeah. like the colors and the water and the mountains. It's just spectacular. So we had a great trip and very happy to be back. How you doing, sir? Awesome. I'm doing hey. great, man. I, I heard you guys talking about the heat. They put a beat down on them last night, huh? Yeah. Well, what do you think about this? I mean, uh, being a uh, sports uh, uh, person that's been involved in different situations with coaches and everything. And, uh, you know, we've seen it before. I'm not usually one to, uh, you know, go out of my way to blame coaches. a guy for you know, a guy gets hurt uh, in a spot. I remember when Jimmy had Zach Thomas, Jimmy Johnson had Zach Thomas in a preseason game in Mexico, and he was on special teams, and he injured himself. I don't know if it cost him many regular season games or any for that matter, but everybody was, like, screaming, how the bleep could you put Zach Thomas in a preseason game on special teams? And Jimmy's explanation was, well, 
you know, he plays special teams during the regular season. So, uh, yeah. you know, we're, we're practicing special teams. He was out there practicing. And, uh, you know, you could look at that and say, all right, that, that makes some sense. Although, you know, we all know now that uh, the uh, preseason has finally been devalued to the point where people realize that uh, it's not worth, you know, taking any risks uh, during the preseason in any capacity. Um, but Doc Rivers, he leaves Joel Embiid in this game. That They're up 29. I don't know if you caught this, uh, John. Uh, they're up 29 over Toronto, four minutes to go. They put a stand-up uh, that uh, teams in this situation – are like twenty four hundred and fifty three and zero. <laughs> Never lost. All right. right. Now, now uh, and earlier this year, it's interesting because uh, Gino uh, Gino Ariema, who, who's known to like just leave his starters in the whole game. You know, with thirty eight seconds to go, he finally pulls one of his starters, even though they're up seventy <laughs> over. You know, uh, some uh, prep school that, that they're playing in, in uh, preparation for you know their, their regular conference season. And, and he'll leave these people in the game, and, and he doesn't care that he bludgeons the other team. And, and we see stories about uh, high school teams. Oh, wow, can you believe this? It was 144 to nothing. You might have been a part of those games at St. Thomas. Now, were you still in the game? No. George <laughs> was George Smith out. leaving you no. in there when you were up by nine touchdowns with six minutes to go? No, I was when I was younger, I was one of the guys that got to go in and get experience. And then when I got to be a senior, I was one of the guys coming out of the game. Yeah, you're right. You want your guys playing in garbage time that have uh, been on the bench, especially in, uh, you know, a series-clinching game. Uh, you got out of a very tough first round, uh, which became difficult when all of a sudden your team absolutely collapsed for two ball games. And Bede uh, was nursing an injury also. So, so how, I mean, how, how is this guy not under – I guess he got some criticism, but he answered it like with a blasé answer. Oh, yeah, well, what the hell? They had their guys in. Like, of course, the other guys are they're down 29 points, but you could have got by with any scrubs. Uh, I was saying earlier this morning that they could have pulled Dr. J out there in Iverson from the stands and, and they still would have held him off. So um, what, what do you think? Did Doc Rivers deserve uh, a lot more scrutiny for what looks like blowing the, the second round of the playoffs by not having Embiid available to him for at least a couple of games, maybe more? Well, yeah, just look at what the start of this series against the Heat is going to look like. It's not going to be a true indication of what the 76ers are as a, as a team. And, you know, you're up by so many points. I, I think as head coaches, you control your team. No matter what the other team's doing, you can control your roster. You can control your substitutions. You can control tempo and, and pace of a game, especially when it's out of hand. Um, so, so the other team doesn't substitute. You can still get your studs kind of out of the game in terms of, you know, ex not exposing them to any kind of risk going down the stretch because the game's in hand. They're, as you said, it's, it's undefeated. You're not going to come back from, from that type of deficit. And even if you, even if you go on a 10 0 run, you're still down 19. Yeah. You yeah. know, what are you going to do you're, at that point? You're Maybe with two minutes your, left. Yeah. Your starters. Right. So yeah, I, I think he deserved a much more criticism for leaving one of the most impactful guys for the way your team plays in, you know, exposing him in a game that's, that's over. Crazy, right? He gets elbowed in the eye and, and there goes, you know, you would have to think any chance they had, it was going to be, you know, from my thought, uh, a competitive series anyway, yes, yes. but uh, certainly a lot more competitive for Philadelphia if they had their key guy in there. I mean, uh, everything, uh, you know, you, you can have James Harden. He has up and down games. He, he's been okay in spots, spectacular at times, but also, uh, you know, as usual, 
uh, disappearing act uh, he's done at times in, in key ball games for the Sixers down the stretch. And uh, Maxie's come along, but uh, without Embiid, they, they literally have nothing. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if that ever happened to you. Uh, like like when you played basketball uh, recreationally or wherever, I, I'm assuming you were pretty good. Were you not a point guard for the St. Thomas Hoops team? I, I was I was for uh, a little while until the baseball coach said that I could I could play as a sophomore on baseball if I skip basketball. So I, I skipped my junior and senior year of, of basketball. Yeah, but I did play growing up. Yes. Okay, so so were you ever in this spot? Now, now this is it happens to be true, even though it seems like something that I would have completely made up. But uh, we used to go to this place in Merrick, Long Island, and uh, the, the one game, you know, they, they it, it was sort of uh, like almost new to have like a, a park that had, you know, baskets that uh, weren't, uh, you know, sideways and, you know, a rip chain net and lights and everything. So uh, this became a hot spot for uh, Long Island basketball. And uh, the court would be occupied three on three, uh, one team uh, that would just, you know, they would be out there, the first team out. Dr. J, the actual Dr. J, he was 16. He's my age, and uh, he was going to high school on uh, Long Island. Uh, Dick McGuire, the former coach of the New York Knicks, who, like, was in his 50s and was the dirtiest player I've ever gone against in any sport. And a kid that uh, Jim Laranega was the arch rival of in high school, which uh, he had a spectacular New York high school career, uh, named Eddie Malloy, right? So so they would start out and – that was the three, and and uh, good teams would come out there and challenge him. So uh, I got into some of these games uh, when I was sixteen, and you knew you were going to lose. I mean, <laughs> Doctor J, he wasn't the flamboyant Doctor J then, and, and he would just stand under the basket and tomahawk dunk when nobody dunked. <laughs> yeah, no one's dunking in like the six. McGuire would hit you right in the balls. I mean, with, with a headbutt, <laughs> and you were inbounding the ball. I mean. And you were, you know, crippled for the rest of the game. And this kid, Eddie Malloy, was just as sharp as uh, anybody at distributing a ball. I mean, it was like having Steve Nash going against you. So you'd lose that game. And, and you know, you'd go down to the other end of the court there and, and challenge like, uh, you know, a, a guy like a father. And they weren't even using a basketball. They were using like a beach ball. <laughs> <laughs> and he was with like his son and daughter that were both like six and, uh, you know, maybe eight. And that's what it was like for the Heat last night without him being in the game. I mean, they went from that Dr. J game right down to the other end, say, hey, yeah, you want to run some three on three? (laughs) And uh, at a bio, I mean, had nothing to go against last night. So, uh, wow, I I, I think Doc Rivers just absolutely cost them a series with with a bozo move in a previous game. Take advantage of the situation that's presented to you, right? If you can get out to a quick 2-0, 3-0 lead in this series and, and put it away at home, when it comes back, I mean, Hero had a great game. Bam had a great game. You know, you feel like you're getting a little bit more healthy in terms of what you can do. So, yeah, I, I take advantage early in this series and, and make no, you know, leave no doubt to where this series is headed. That was great, too. Uh, every expert had the Celtics in like five over yes. Milwaukee. Yes. <laughs> and then, uh, I mean, I, I didn't see this game, but the, the Bucks just crushed the Celtics. Well, Giannis was Chris amazing. Middleton. In game one, uh, you know, and that, that comes as a surprise. I don't know if you've been following the Celtics, but man, I, I mean, they came on so strongly, at, you know, from the all-star game on and, and we're the best team, uh, you know, far and away in basketball, I think, maybe with the exception of the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. And, but we don't know how good the West is. People are saying they, they don't have the depth that the East does. But uh, I mean, it just goes to show you if you, we've been saying this for a long time, John, if you could book the media's action. You would be a rich yeah. man today. But, uh, no, that, that loomed as a very interesting uh, turnaround in terms of 
swaying public opinion. All right, uh, l- let's get to the uh, draft and uh, what, what you thought about that. Uh, I mean, there wasn't much to be said for the Dolphins, except they essentially traded their draft to get a dynamic player like Tyreek Hill. And they did some other things in free agency. We've discussed it many times. Uh, seems like solid moves. Uh, did you see anything in their drafting that was an indication that the organization is still going in the right direction and uh, on the right path in, in terms of philosophy? Well, the Miami Dolphins, I mean, when you look at it, they had four picks. So it wasn't going to be, you know, detrimental to the point of, well, it's a disaster. We, you know, we didn't find anybody to help the team or it wasn't going to be on the other side where you go, wow, we found these four guys. They're going to turn around the franchise, you know, this year. I think they tried to do that, as you said, in free agency, when you get a dynamic uh, wide receiver in Tyreek Hill, you, you bolster the offensive line with Armstead on the left side and, and a guard coming from Dallas. But in the draft, you know, you get a, an action-packed linebacker with speed that probably can help you situationally once he gets accustomed to um, the way that the NFL plays. You know, you don't want to be too uh, over-pursued to the point where you run yourself out of plays. And I think Tyndale from Georgia was surrounded by a lot of talent on that defense. The, one of the best defenses in college football. They have five first round picks. Take a look at the numbers. <laughs> they set the record. Yeah, they had they had two defensive tackles go to the same team. They had all their linebackers go. I mean, it's amazing what they were able to assemble on a college football team on that side of the of the ball. But you get one of those impactful players, and I think that's going to help bolster the roster. You get a a tall wide receiver, you lose one in Devontae Parker. He goes to the Patriots. So you get a 6'2", 6'3", wide receiver that maybe if Williams doesn't work out on the outside, you get a young guy out there, but you're primarily going to be playing in the slot with your playmakers and, and hopefully running the football more effectively. You get an outside pass rushing linebacker from Cal that in good, that's a guy like a tweener, long, long arms uh, can get around the edge. And then you get a, a quarterback that you want to, you know, hopefully get you through training camp, uh, expose him to an offense, see if he can be on the practice roster, if he's that guy, but it's he's not going to be asked to play this year uh, or maybe next. So, you know, the draft was the draft for the Dolphins. They had four picks. I thought, you know, they, they were able to get a couple of linebackers, get a wide receiver for depth and and move on with the, the moves they've already made. So, I think it was successful before the draft, and it still stays the same way. Their team was made in the the offseason, not in the draft, but in free agency. Well, John, and what I've liked so far, and I've been very hard on Chris Greer, I still don't – the verdict to me is out on Chris Greer. But I've liked the way Mike McDaniel sort of (laughs) brought everyone – I don't know about down to his level. Like you're now seeing Chris Greer. We've made fun of Chris Greer. Where has he been? Well, he was in every press conference, every interview with Mike McDaniel, right? They're together in lockstep, which you haven't seen ever for the Dolphins. Like that's always been their issue is we always joke too many cooks in the kitchen, too many people. They're always, there's infighting, this and that. Like it feels like Mike McDaniel's like, I got you, Chris Greer. Come with me. They're going to like you now. And he's cracking jokes. He's talking about on Twitter and well, during the first round, we're just going to watch Tyreek Hill highlights. You know, like little jokes that you would normally not get from Dolphins Brass. Very sort of peeling the curtain back about, we know what we did. We're co- we're not hiding from it. We're confident about it. And we're ready to have some fun. 
And to me, their picks sort of felt like that. Like, Tyndall is a guy that was really good and could have gone an early second round, where instead of they've overdrafted, like, with Noah and Austin Jackson, they got guys that were just hanging around, best available guys that will probably play. And and he actually fits alongside Jerome Baker, where instead of throwing a guy into a spot that he doesn't fit, they're finding people that fit their system, and they're all fast. Like, the receiver's like a four three seven guy. Like, they're all guys that are underdrafted, but Mike McDaniel has done things with in the past, and it feels like they're on the same page. Like, Mick, when they ask McDaniel these questions, like, look, Chris Greer liked him, I liked him, we drafted him. You know, like, the way they're talking is something you haven't heard from the Dolphins, I don't know, since Shula? Like, I, I, I don't remember them being this transparent and this fun, and I, I'm at least right now, I'm liking it. Well, you should. And the Dolphins like to throw around words like collaborative and transparency and, and doing all that stuff. But I don't know if they've ever walked the walk exactly in terms of pulling back the curtain. And I think the personality sometimes of a head coach, if it's that if it's that obvious to people that he's not going to change, he's going to be this way, whether this is an interview for Sunday Night Football or whether it's an interview, you know, with the local media after you know, making four selections in the 2022 draft. He's going to be the same way. And sometimes that rubs off in the front office. It rubs off. Sometimes it rubs off on your football team. And you hope that they take on that personality. I think for all the, you know, good things or bad things you might want to say about Brian Flores, I think some of the good things were that his rough, his tough personality in terms of being serious and demanding about the little things rubbed off on the football team. Yes. Where did it show up? It showed up in getting rid of the pre-snap penalties. Yep. It turned up in discipline. It turned up on about showing up and being accountable, being on time, uh, doing all the little things that got this franchise from a five-win team to a nine and ten-win season. Yep. So I don't, I don't think those things can be discounted. Now, can this McDaniel? personality uh where it's more lax it's more laid back it's more you know kind of just letting it flow off the tip of your tongue whatever comes to you know to the to the front of your brain is going to come out of my lips whether that rubs off on the team whether they play to you know right on the edge they're a team that can kind of you know lay it out on the line they're going to be a gambling team they're going to be a creative team they're going to be a team that has a, a, a little razzle dazzle in their play calling or are they going to be hard nosed and run the football, play action, be kind of you know predictable, but so good you can't stop them? Yep. It, it, it all the stuff is kind of out in front of of the Miami Dolphins right now. You don't know what to expect, but you're excited about it because you, as the fan, as as you are, Luby, yep. you're kind of receiving all this information. Going, yeah, I, I understand. I agree with that, man. He really told me what he was thinking. Now whether that's hundred percent true or not, we'll we'll see how it plays out. But at least you feel like you're involved and you're getting the truth from from this organization. A little frightening uh, that Luby is so enthusiastic yeah. about this uh, whole new <laughs> approach. <me> <laughs> I mean, that's strike one, isn't it? Right there in the corner. I mean, uh, you're like, hey, you really? You 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 took that pitch? You have to be kidding me. Uh, <laughs> There's no bigger bullshit press conference either than the general yeah. manager, yeah. both before and after oh, the draft, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, comes out there to address the media. You yeah, just want I, to I, I've been to a few. Yeah. Right in your thigh. <laughs> yeah. Just to keep yourself a lot, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, we love this kid down to Purdue. And, and then, you know, it's the last uh, thing on earth they ever intended to do. 
And then the media overreacts to everything that's said, uh, which is why it, it was hysterical when I was watching the first round. I, now, uh, we, we knew the first two picks were going to be what they were, or so it seemed. That that uh, sort of became established. And then by number three, everybody was mystified, yeah. <laughs> which, uh, you know, and I, I was saying they had Booger McFarlane out there and uh, Lewis Riddick on ESPN. I was watching uh, Mike Greenberg and, and each guy named like seven players for that number three pick that would all be a perfect fit. And then they went to Mel, who was uh, on a remote, Kuiper. And, you know, he, you know, I, I, I tend to respect Mel Kuiper. I mean, he invented this whole genre. And, you know, I, I don't think he's full of crap, but, um, you know, he, he was way off. And, you know, you're, you're thinking, so So what is the point of all of this conversation? Like, nobody has any bleeping idea what the hell they're talking about. Uh, you no, know, it's, and, it, it's like a dartboard. You kind of just throw everything out, and then they, when they come back to you, well, I said that was the guy. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that was a great pick. Yeah. Like, they never funny... mentioned the guy's name. It was crazy. I have such a funny story. You guys, because I, I, I hit delete on this selection. Do you remember when the Dolphins, uh, gosh, had to be 10 years ago, at least, maybe, maybe 8 or 10, they went up to number three and they picked the defensive end from uh, Oregon. Oregon, yes, we all Deion, remember. Yeah. Jordan. Deion, you already uh, forgot Deion Jordan. I remember right, very Deion well. Deion Jordan, okay? <laughs> so we're doing a show. We're doing a draft show from whatever uh, Hard Rock Stadium was called at the time. Yeah. And we're going through the picks. And Keith Sims, great Dolphin uh, offensive guard, Keith always liked to be right, okay? Very so, articulate and opinionated. So – uh, no one knows that the Dolphins are going to go from wherever we were all the way up to three. And if we're going to three, we're getting uh, Lane Johnson. Offensive I, I lineman. guess he was the tackle that yep. went to the uh, Eagles to pick after. But we're going to go get this tackle because yep. we need offensive linemen. Yep. Somebody must have uh, uh, given the word to Keith at who we selected, who we're going to select. And out of nowhere, he hasn't even mentioned this guy's name in four yep. months as we're preparing <laughs> for the draft. And he goes, I wouldn't be surprised. If the Dolphins go up and, and select, you know, Dion Jordan from Oregon, we're all looking around and like, you know, 15 seconds later, they go, the Dolphins have traded up. And he, he acted like he knew exactly what he was doing. And it reminded me of, of the guys on, on ESPN and all the shows on, t on TV because they just started throwing names up just because they figured, well, he didn't say that guy. I might as well say yeah. this guy. And, and if I'm right, I, I look smart. I had inside information once, and it turned out to be accurate uh, on the Dolphins draft pick when they selected Ronnie Brown, number two, in the 2005, I want to say, uh, NFL draft. And uh, a neighbor of mine uh, was pretty connected uh, in the sports world. He had been a coach with the Oklahoma Outlaws and also had uh, been uh, with the uh, Missouri a team as a defensive coordinator uh, on the college ranks. Uh, what was it? Woody Woodenhofer? Was that the guy's name? That, that yeah. was this guy? Yeah. yeah. And, and and Jim McKinley was uh, my neighbor's name. And, and he comes running across the street, you know, and usually it was about some score he made at a casino at the track that he was coming to tell me about. <laughs> but he says, I, I got one for you, Defoe. And he had inside information that the Dolphins had already had some negotiations with Ronnie Brown, the running back out of Auburn. And now almost everybody thought, well, geez, they're going to either take Alex Smith or uh, – Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, whoever's available, right? Right. They both got off the bus, one, two. Yes. And uh, I remember going on a show with Jimmy Cephalo, and he said, uh, well, what do you think, Defoe? 
And I said, well, I, I believe they're going to take Ronnie Brown. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he wasn't even the best guy at Auburn, you know. And uh, Jimmy's like, yeah, what, what do you know? What are you, some kind of comic? Yeah, of course. Be funny. I mean, we're trying to do a serious trap show here, and you're making jokes? <laughs> it was like a scene out of uh, Goodfellas. <laughs> and sure enough, they take Ronnie Brown. And it was like, wow, that was uh, that was a mind blower, too, because um, – Turned out to be a very unfortunate pick. I mean, when you really look at it, uh, that was a transformational franchise, uh, you know, draining and, uh, you know, damning pick that they made in that draft. All right. The magic question, though, John Kajemi, is not anything about these players. And uh, now you have to keep in mind, and I have to keep reminding myself that it's a 17-game season now. So over, under, eight and a hook. I I thought that was a pretty modest number. Over, under, Eight and a hook, Miami Dolphins in a 17-game season. I might have gone over in a 16-game season. So what do you think? Is this a sucker bet? And the real people who know everything, uh, the line makers and odds makers in Las Vegas, are they on to something that we are unsuspecting of? No. I think last year uh, I did a show on FOR4 down in Miami before the season and I, I think everybody was, you know, 11 wins, 12 wins. And I was going, I don't know. I'm going to. That, that was Segreto. That was the only. I don't know. That's a pretty good number by Vegas, eight and a, eight and a hook, because it's right around. It's right around that number. I could see seven. I can really? see nine. Wow. I don't I don't see double digits. No. Oh, really? I, I don't. Oh, I don't, John, I, I thought don't you were as high on the team as Lubias. Lubias am I going like 17 and 0. I don't Perfect see the team season. beating. I don't see this team beating Buffalo again once, and I don't see this team sweeping the Jets, not with the draft they had. Wow. I really don't. All right, we'll get into uh, – see, now that – there's a man, <laughs> a rational man, right? I mean, he's been on the Dolphins' payroll, and yet he's not afraid to say, hey, look, seven and a hook might be a, a real proposition here. All right, so eight and a half is a number. I, I would be inclined to go over. Um I think they're going to be good. I, I really do. I, well, I, I, I think know. I think it's like we've heard in years past. Like they could be better, but they're the AFC's like not it's loaded. human. <laughs> like, there's, no, there's, there's only like three I mean, bad teams in the whole thought, conference. <laughs> like, yeah. Just when you thought the Jets were, were going to be a layup, those are two wins. New England's kind of down. Yeah, the quarterback played well last year, but he might come you know regress a little bit in year two, trying to figure out he can do more than he really needs to. I don't know. I mean. Unless you can beat Buffalo one time, I think that's the you know that's the the game. You have to sweep the Jets if you're going to get to nine, right? You have to, and you have to probably sweep New England if you're going to get to nine. Take a look at that that schedule. Wow. I don't. All right, I don't let know. me call uh, Lipschitz and call <laughs> up that bet that I just made. No, but Defoe, <laughs> go with your gut. I'm, I'm saying I'm just just I, me. I've been going with my gut for too that's long. That's a problem. Yeah, I have to go that. with you. <laughs> I just think when you look at when you look at teams in the over under, how do they do in their division? Yeah. Right. If the Dolphins were ever going to get to the playoffs, no matter what year it is, the worst they can do is four and two. Yeah. You can't go five hundred in your division and get to the playoffs. Yeah. Not with the parity in the National Football League, especially not with the AFC being so strong. If you're going to go out and play the Chargers, you know, if you got Denver now with Russell Wilson, you, you've got a bunch of teams that are, you know. I can't remember the Dolphins' schedule in terms of. I think they have the North, so you've got you know Kenny Pickett, a rookie quarterback with with a really good defense in Pittsburgh. You've got Deshaun Watson now in Cleveland. Wow. You've got Cincinnati coming off a Super Bowl appearance, <laughs> and you've got Baltimore. That's going to be Baltimore. It's always the yeah. Dolphins' nemesis trying to beat those guys. So I'm just trying to add them up, and I'm I'm not getting to ten. 
maybe get to nine, but I don't get to double digits. All right, we'll have Tony on tomorrow. He'll have him at 12. <laughs> so, you remember when he did that thing, uh, you know, speaking of, I guess he was on Channel 4 and Channel 6 because they, they switched numbers. They yeah. did like a, you know, a uh, Mike Kekich, Fritz Peterson thing where they swapped stations. It was like swapping wives uh, right. with the Yankees many years ago. And, uh, and, you know, he used to get up there as soon as the schedule came out. And we always, uh, you know, kind of mocked Tony we a little bit, uh, you know, and, and uh, with all affection. But, uh, we used to have to stand up there, and they would literally say, okay, Putin has uh, used nuclear weapons in the Ukraine, but the Dolphin schedule just came out, so here's Tony Segreto. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and Tony would have to go, uh, okay, Buffalo, that's a win. Uh, then they lose to New England. So very difficult to do because you, you don't know, you know what kind of shape these teams are going to be in by the time yeah, you get yeah. to the meeting. When you I play mean, them, you know, yeah. What if Allen's out for Buffalo in both games? I mean, who, right. who the hell knows? It's possible yeah. that anything can happen. So, uh, but I, I think the Dolphins. I, I don't know. I think they're going to be an okay team this year. Uh, they can't there's be only, much worse than only... they were last year, and and they you know started out one and seven and came back and rallied one eight out of nine. So, yeah, there's uh, only a couple of guarantees when you look at a Dolphin schedule. If you see Buffalo in week sixteen or seventeen in Buffalo. No, that's no. Oh, no, forget about that. You may as well be back in Saskatchewan, John. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's brutal. New England's more doable, but the the Buffalo games. It, yeah, they just All right, we have to talk well about season. Sorry, uh, yeah, we have to talk about some cornerbacks here, including your man Pickett. So uh, we'll get some thoughts on that from John Kajemi. Uh, Jimmy Johnson's big chill though. Any sign of Tommy Fox? Does he still exist? Where, where is Tommy Fox? I, I mean, thought, the market's I thought been up, you had correspondence, Defoe. I thought you were you. you that doesn't mean we've uh, come bread. to any conclusive, no. uh, you know, uh, you know, plans on, on this whole thing. But well, uh, we want to get down there. We want to get down there. I know that Jimmy Johnson's big chill still loves us, and they want us to come down because okay. uh, it, it, who wouldn't? You know, we, we come down and, and we ha leave our own footprint. We don't do too much, but we have a good time and we enjoy uh, the food and the scenery down there. Uh, it's just a, a great place to kind of kick back and relax. And I know that they've had a, a busy season uh, with a lot of folks coming down and enjoying the, the upper keys. And now it should be slowing down for the locals. So it might be a great time to go down and enjoy Jimmy Johnson's Big Chill. Either it's the sports bar, or the tiki bar or the restaurant have a pizza uh, with, with Dominic, my brother, and Amanda, my, my sister-in-law, and Larry runs the entire place. And it's uh, it's just one of the best places to go if you're going to really just kick back and relax in the Upper Keys. You're not, John Jimmy inclined to uh, wild extremes when it comes to your behavior because, uh, you know, you, you drive the hour and a half, one and a hook that it is to get down there, uh, very calmly get out of your car, you know, say hello to the, uh, you know, mom and dad and the whole family. But what's your first thing that you're thinking when you get to the restaurant? What, what, what is your go-to item there, John Jimmy? What, what's your would, first order up? I would say any type of pizza that my, my brother offers up with any type of beverage that he's going to give me. That, that <laughs> nice. would be my first, yeah. first uh, go-to because the pizza there is phenomenal. I just love it. It's, it's awesome. Does he go Italian fisherman with you all the time, or uh, not you know, all the time? He, he surprises you. I mean, all of a sudden, like Luby's got a fried egg on his face, <laughs> and, and it's not because it's something he said on a show. I mean, it was part of a pizza. It was amazing. Yeah, not all the time, but when it's when it's offered, I never turn it down. That's for sure. Good, good stuff. All right, uh, it's Mile Marker One Hundred Four. The accommodations are exquisite. Uh, you'll have to make arrangements there uh, on a limited basis because they have what six uh, eight units uh, which are all spectacular but good enough like uh, you know a couple of families could uh, hang there and Absolutely. and all be happy coexisting in uh, harmonious bliss uh, which is 
tough to do even if you're only a couple sometimes. But uh, anyway, it's Mile Marker 104. It's a mood changer, too. I mean, whatever you're feeling, you're going to yeah. feel that much better about life if you get to Jimmy Johnson's big show. All right, uh, coming back with more, including uh, small hands. John, how much have you talked about small hands over the last few days? But your man, uh, Kenny Pickett, man. I mean, He's a pit guy. Does he even have hands? I mean, what is the, what is the deal? Uh? He just nubs. I don't know. He broke every record that was ever set there, so he must be doing something. You guys have had some quarterbacks there. Yeah. We'll get into uh, specifics here on, on a few other things and uh, expand our conversation about uh, both the uh, NFL and life in general with John Kajemi. Uh, coming up on Dateline Dolphins here on the Defoe Show in a moment. Now that. The time. Mall hands. It's uh, 8.35. If poker is your game, you're covered in style. And you can play all your favorite Vegas-style games, including blackjack, craps, and roulette in Hylia Park's sizzling hot casino. Get a player's card when you walk through the door for all kinds of generous amenities, including our favorite, free play. When you come out to the ultimate casino and entertainment destination, Hylia Park. These days, we're all looking for comfort anywhere we can find it. Thank goodness for Landlubbers, Raw Bar and Grill in the plantation location because they are making sure you are as comfortable as possible. You're going to have the best wings in the world. You're going to have a great burger. You're going to have their amazing soups. Again, Landlubbers, Raw Bar and Grill. It's nice and easy. Just go to landlubbersbarandgrill.com for both your pickup and free delivery. Thank goodness for landlubbers for making you always feel right at home. Catholic Health Services is committed to care that changes as your needs do. Our full continuum of services is designed to be there throughout your care journey. If you need assistance with daily living, post-acute care following a serious health event, or additional medical care at home, we also offer skilled nursing and palliative and hospice care. Your care needs may change, but our commitment never does. Catholic Health Services, South Florida's number one choice for post-acute and end-of-life care. Visit catholichealthservices.org. Uh, joins us here on the program, along with John Kajemi, and it's Dateline Dolphins, of course, uh, Leslie Bisser, the lovely and talented one. It was always different. You, you had to know if it was Emmett Smith, if you screamed at him, he was going to go into a shell. I wasn't going to get anything out of him for the rest of the day. If it's Charles Haley, you know, he was going to get upset at me and maybe threaten me all my life. And, <laughs> and mean it. Yeah, but, and mean it. And, and he could have done it, too, yeah. I promise. But when he went into my office, he said, Coach, just get on to me one-on-one. Don't do it in front of the other players. Now, Michael Urban, I could cuss him like a sailor. And the, the, the more I cussed him, the harder he worked. From South Florida to the entire world, thank you to the iHeartRadio app. Here is Defoe joined by Luby on The Defoe Show. Welcome back to the show, the Defoe Show with Jeff DeForest, Mike Luby Lewitz, and uh, John Kajemi, always with us, usually on Mondays from 8 to 9, brought to you by Jimmy Johnson's Big Chill. You just heard from Jimmy, and uh, wow, I mean, in terms of psychology, uh, there uh, may have been none better uh, when it came to uh, coaching. And uh, he explained a lot of that uh, when we were down at Jimmy Johnson's Big Chill and uh, had him on the show. Uh, all right, John, uh, you're familiar with this guy, obviously. He followed in your footsteps. In, you know, in a sense, uh, you know, as uh, you were part of that uh, whole great uh, quarterbacking uh, legion of uh, guys that they had there at uh, the University of Pittsburgh, started with Danny Boy. And then, uh, of course, you come in there after that, some big shoes to fill. You did it very well. And uh, now you had uh, Kenny Pickett 
who, uh, you know, people thought that he was going to be the second quarterback chosen behind Malik Willis. Uh, what were your thoughts first before we get into this whole small hands thing and whether or not Pickett is going to make it? Because uh, he was the only guy selected in the first round, a real oddity uh, among quarterbacks, uh, but with the desperate need that all teams seem to have at, at uh, almost uh, all times uh, to find a quarterback, with, with rare exception. Uh, a few guys have been in the league for a long, long time, but uh, most teams are, are, are looking at the position even still. So uh, what do you think first about uh, Willis just dropping out of sight? We had Brett Tesser on earlier. He said, well, some guys just get hyped up. And while the media is talking about a guy and all of the uh, experts and analysts, uh, the people inside the NFL are saying, hey, no way, Jose, man. This guy's not worth that kind of investment. Uh, so Willis falls to the third round, which uh, I thought was a big surprise, no? Yeah, I thought I thought Willis was going to go somewhere in the in the first two rounds, uh, depending on which team in need uh, where they were where they were selecting. I thought Pickett would go in the first round. I wasn't surprised that he went to the Steelers. I mean, just take a look at the team and the organization you're going to. You know, first of all, you share the same door uh, when you go yeah. in for the yeah. last you know four or five six years, however long Kenny Pickett. Uh, was at Pitt because of COVID and all that stuff. He's probably there a five-year guy, maybe six. I can't remember. But I, I think Blue Tarski was the only guy yeah. who spent more time with <laughs> yeah. I, I, I hope he finished a couple of my classes, too, while he was there. <laughs> so, yeah, Kenny Pickett's pro-ready. I mean, he was coached by a guy that coached for the Steelers as an offensive coordinator, Mark Whipple. He probably was was given the task that was more demanding of not only calling plays, but identifying uh, blocking schemes and identifying personnel on the defensive side of the football, all this stuff happening pre-snap, and probably better prepared on a weekly basis of going in and game planning and doing all the things you need to do uh, like an NFL quarterback would be doing the last couple of seasons when he started, right? So you take a look at Malik Willis and all the indications that, you know, visibly that you can see He's, he's got a live arm. He's got one of the strongest arms that you'll, you'll need to play the quarterback position going from college to pro. He's very mobile. He, he's one of the fastest players on the field when he's playing. Uh, he's difficult to predict because he's just going to tuck it and take off when other guys might take a sack or throw it away. So it's almost mm -hmm. like you're defending, you know, a Michael Vick or a Lamar Jackson or somebody that's kind of you know, can beat you with his with his athleticism and his legs, but he also can beat you from the pocket throwing the football. But the only thing you don't have, and depending on what franchise or what team was going to pick him, is that team ready to plug in a guy that's not as efficient so we can game plan and do the things we need to do? Or how, how, how much are we going to put on his plate? Because he's never been exposed to that. He's never been, you know, at, in college at Liberty, they, you know, he had signs up that you know, one or two words and boom, you were going, right? So maybe you have to either adapt to what you want to do to, to get a guy that hasn't been coached or be, even been exposed to that uh, on a daily basis, or you got to kind of bring it back and kind of trim what you want to do to make him play at his best. So I think when, what I've heard from guys that went through the combine that were meeting with Malik Willis and guys that were meeting with maybe a Sam Howell that went through the process of, of doing all that stuff, you know, Sam Howell, Howell dropped as well, right? Well, he fell through yeah. the roof. I mean, uh, he like, fell like... through the roof. Now, do I think Malik Willis's upside is better than his? Yeah, I, I think Malik Willis is a hell of a quarterback. I think you're, you're going to be able to, 
you might be able to do some stuff with him that you can't do with other quarterbacks just because of he brings you the element you can't coach or teach or predict, right? Yeah. You yeah, can man. predict what the quarterback in New England's going to do, yep. right? Yep. He, the ball's coming out. but he's going to beat you most times because he's going to be able to place the ball where you can't get it. He's going to be able to throw it away and punt instead of throwing the turnover where Malik might give you the explosive play, but he has to kind of watch and see, you know, why did he just throw that in the stands and punt where he could have maybe tried to fit it in? Well, because we're up by a touchdown or two and you don't need to get them back in the game. So he, you know, he, his experiences are going to be learning first, but I think, By listening to guys at the combine, they said that what what they did in college wasn't close to um, an NFL type of environment. And if you threw him into that, he would be swimming in terms of trying to get catch up where he wouldn't be able to let his athleticism show. Yeah, I was thinking, who does uh, Liberty play? I mean, uh, what's this guy been up against? Is always and it's the not even the opponent, though. That's the thing, like. It's not even yeah. the opponent. It's it's what you're exposed to on a on a daily basis at practice. What's asked of you, right? I think Kenny Pickett was asked to be a pro quarterback three years ago, where Malik Willis was. They were wanted him to win games at Liberty just to win games so they could get exposure. And whatever we had to do to do it, whether we ran twelve plays a game, we we're going to run those twelve plays, and we're going to depend on Malik's athleticism to carry us through. They throw it sixty yards down the field on a dime you know, run for 120 where the other way was more of is more game planned, but it, you got that exposure for not only just one season, but two or three years. So you're ready to take the next step with verbiage of a play with the way you're game planning, all this stuff. It's just, it's hard. It, it, it puts a quarterback in a bad spot. If you've never done it and all of a sudden you come in and you go, here it is. We're expecting you to do it. Go ahead. I know Louie's got something for you, but, uh, I did want to address this small hands thing. You kind of, uh, you know, uh, stated uh, that, uh, you know, and very, uh, you know, factually so that this guy set records that uh, even Danny Boy wasn't able to establish. Uh, so uh, obviously he could throw the football, uh, the, the small hands with Pickens. And then I, I would have done a Mike Tannenbaum if I was talking about how, because I, I was convinced, like I always am, that the highlight film was 100% representative of what this guy's capabilities would be as a pro. So I'm looking at this guy going, my God, you know, top of the second round, I'm trading up to get him. And uh, he fell to the fifth. But uh, what do you make of all of this uh, conversation? We we were jokingly uh, implying that uh, Booger McFarlane unzipped his fly and said, like, you know, this equation of appendages is not always the same. So don't worry. His girlfriend, you know, is going to be completely satisfied by this guy. But, uh, you know, how, how, I mean, uh, Brett Tester actually had like a measurement, which I don't even know these, these things existed, right? Right. Where they put the guy's hand flat on a table yeah, and said, uh, my God, that's small. <laughs> uh, what do you make of it? I mean, you've thrown, uh, you know, uh, the college ball and uh, the Duke. I don't know. I mean, it seems like the grip is, uh, you know, unless it's uh, Tom Brady uh, messing with the ball, the grip is great on the Duke. Um, and and maybe makes up for the fact that it's a little larger than the college football. Is that you know is that a fair statement? Yeah, it's a little bit different, I, I think. But I it's one of those things where you get used to throwing uh, a football. Uh, you get more accustomed to it. The the grip I don't think is is that bad because they you know they kind of dress those footballs and rub them down to the point where it, it has great tact on them. And then some guys even like it better with a glove. You know, I know Kenny Pickett wears a glove. I think Ben Roethlisberger wore a glove uh, for a lot of years. And some other guys, when it gets colder, you know, they experiment with 
at least on their offhand. So when they're taking snaps, it doesn't kind of, you know, slip. I, I think he's going to put one of those big foam hands on, you know, with the finger <laughs> up the hand. We're number one. Maybe the middle finger and give it to everybody as he's throwing yeah, the touchdown. As he's the throwing the ball. But Steelers, yeah. No, but I don't, I don't know. It, it, I don't think it's going to be a problem for him. I, I just think it's, it's one of those things that, you know, it's a measurement, it's a measurement. Um, he didn't seem to have a problem throwing in college, and I don't, I don't think he'll have a problem throwing in the pros. John, it's interesting. I just want to jump back to Malik Willis for a second because the NFL is always a copycat league, right? So you wanted the big strapping dude, and then when you saw Russell Wilson, Drew Brees have a lot of success, but then there was still a little bit of a gap, and then Russell Wilson came in, the small guy, really didn't play in college systems, so he fell, and then he became a, a back-to-back Super Bowl attendee and sort of won two Super Bowls and really – had opened eyes where, look, if a guy has a strong arm and he's athletic and he's short, he still can make it in the league. So then you saw a run, right? You saw Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, back-to-back number one picks, didn't come from pro-style systems and didn't have the size, but Russell Wilson set the tone. Well, you've now seen those guys show a lot of boom, but also a lot of bust. Both guys have been questioned. Now Mayfield will be on another team. Kyler Murray's in trade talks because he's had talent, still can't win are you, do you think the NFL, and now we've seen the old strapping dude in Burrow and Allen, the big, strong guy, back to being successful, like, who have more pro-style things coming out of college. Like, we know the NFL is copycat. Is, do you think that's having something to do with Malik Willis? Because he compares to those other two guys pretty well, and it looked like he should have at least been a first-round pick. To fall to the third round, that's a lot. Yeah, he, I, like I said, I was surprised he wasn't picked in the first two rounds at least because it seemed like his stock his value was going up the closer we got to the draft and whether that was smoke you know whether that was just guys trying to you know bring up his name knowing that they were going to go in another direction I I don't know but I I I think it depends on what your flavor and what you're asking your quarterback to do you know Kyler Murray is always in shotgun and it seems like he's always you know one of those guys where if it's not there, man, he's going to move and he's going to try to make things happen because he's tough to he's tough to bring down when he's in the open field. And when those things don't work out, just like Kansas City's offense last year, you know, we thought Patrick Mahomes over the last couple of seasons, unbelievable. You know, well, let's get a guy like that if we can find a guy like that. Well, he starts off the year and he's running around and all those crazy plays he's made over the last couple of seasons. They weren't making, and the offense was stalling. And then all of a sudden, something clicked, and they started making a couple of plays. And I I just think the team played better around him. So I I think that we've come from an age of where every team was dependent on the quarterback had to drive the team. He had to be the best player. And if he played well, we were going to do well. To a place where, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers, I don't think Ben Roethlisberger, if you asked him, he's carried the team over the last couple of seasons. But he played well enough from the pocket. He wasn't going to beat you with his legs, but he played well enough from the pocket where he wasn't going to take you out of a game. He was going to be able to make enough plays to either win or keep you in with the defense. I don't think Arizona got that complimentary play, and I don't think Kansas City got that complimentary play early because teams were scoring on Kansas City, and they couldn't outscore anybody, everybody all the time, where they did the last couple of seasons. So I think it's more complimentary, Luby, in terms of, yeah, the quarterback's important, whether you have a big strapping guy or a guy that can move. But you have you better be good on the defensive side of the football because 
you have to you have to score in the, in the high 20s it seems like to win especially in the early to middle part of the season until it gets kind of nasty out right you better be able to score and you better be able to have a defense that that keeps the other team in the, either the high teens or the low 20s because if you have that type of offense and that type of quarterback it's going to come down to the last couple of series in a game i i just don't think the size or, or the I don't think you need to have the big strapping guy or you need to have the little guy that's going to make you move. I just think you need to have the guy that's going to be able to make the plays down the stretch, whether it's with his arm or legs, that doesn't lose the game. That's either going to win the game or keep you in the game for the other side of the ball to do their part. John Kajemi and Stateland Dolphins are John Kajemi here on the Depot Show. John brought to you every week, usually with us Monday, 8 to 9, uh, and uh, every week brought to you by the great people at Jimmy Johnson's Big Chill, mile marker 104, the Overseas Highway in Key Largo, a great place to uh, just go and relax, have a great time, a great meal, and it's always good uh, getting down to the Florida Keys. It, it really does uh, kind of cleanse the soul a little bit, yep, yep. get down to the uh, Florida Keys. So we recommend that you stop in at Jimmy Johnson's Big Chill when you're down there. Uh, okay, I mean, it's a big thing to grade these uh, drafts. I was just re- reading uh, Pete Prisco, and he had graded every team. I read uh, several other uh, you know, people that uh, do this and uh, in the New York Post and other publications and online. Uh, most people are saying that the Ravens what were the best. Now, now, the Ravens had more selections in the fourth round of the draft than the Dolphins had in the entire draft, and yeah, maybe, <laughs> including like next year. They. Somehow yeah. I had like six fourth-round selections, which uh, is a real aberration. But uh, the general consensus seemed to be that of all the teams uh, in the league, that they had fared the best. Uh, do you share that opinion, John Kajemi? I think the Ravens did well, but I would say the New York Jets. I, I thought the Jets did spectacular. I mean, Especially did... since it was the New York Jets. Yeah, well, you weren't expecting it. No. Right? You weren't expecting it from the Jets because they seemed to be the laughing stock of how are they going to blow the draft is the most important question asked in new york how are the jets going to blow it this year exactly i thought the giants did well i thought the ravens did really well but i think the jets i mean when you take a look at what are you trying to do with your with with your first pick get a guy that's going to start on day one and be dominant well you get the corner from cincinnati and sauce Gardner. uh what do you want to do on offense you want to get that big type big playability wide receiver you get garrett wilson from ohio state uh, you need a pass rusher, a uh, guy that falls in your lap and Jermaine Johnson from Florida State. Now, whether he's going to be impactful right away, I don't know. But at least what you saw on tape when he was at Auburn, when he was at Florida State, this guy was dominant. And then you get, I think, a running back. The Dolphins would have been, uh, you know, if they didn't make the moves in the offseason, this guy would have fit right in. And Brees Hall from Iowa State, I thought he was the best running back in the draft. And then you get Ruckert, the tight end from Ohio state, making one handed catches against Clemson and against Alabama, against anybody, any big team that they played against Michigan. This guy was all over the field. So I, I thought they knocked it out of the park in the first four or five, six picks. And I think they got a defensive end at the end from uh, Texas A&M, who's a really good player in Michael Clemens. So I, I thought the jets for, for pick by pick, they, they had the best draft. Could they possibly have gotten smart? How did that happen? <laughs> it, they uh, did know, a great job. Now, you yeah. know, the Jets are kind of in the position the Dolphins were in without all the wins last year. They've piled up a, a lot of a lot of talent on this football team in free agency and now in the draft. And now they're looking at their young quarterback going, okay, you know, it's your turn. You know, I don't care how you do it, but you got to be better than you were last year. And I think the Dolphins are, are not as 
in dire straits as the Jets in terms of quarterback because I think Tua played really well uh, for the Miami Dolphins, much better than Wilson did uh, for the Jets. That that's, goes without saying. But it's kind of similar in the terms of the pressure meter being pointed more at him, saying, okay, we did all the things we wanted to do to stockpile this team with talent. Now you have to be more consistent. Now you have to be able to drive the bus and, and be able to, to pile and stockpile wins in that column to see if we can get to where we want to go. And I think, you know, the, the Jets are on a much lesser level because they're coming from a, a much deeper hole than the Miami Dolphins were in the last couple of seasons, but very similar in terms of the quarterback, uh, re, you know, relying on him to improve his play to see if they can get to be uh, a playoff contending team. I'm so used to, uh, and I missed this uh, this year because uh, the Jets did seem to, uh, you know, act uh, with a certain amount of uh, wisdom as compared to the previous drafts, but where you always love the image of the stunned Jet fans. <laughs> yes. Sitting there going, my the God. of the Jet fans. The, the, the uh, tight end. Of the uh, yeah. and, uh, you know, I mean, it passed on Danny Boy, right? I mean, yeah. get out of here. Yeah. They, these guys have just uh, routinely blown a draft year after year, going all the way back to, like, Weeb Eubank. And uh, so this year, uh, maybe that does represent uh, a little bit of a turnaround. Uh, and as you were saying, John, now, uh, you know, I, I wanted to get back uh, for one second to pick it because uh, earlier it sounded like you were implying that, that he will be. that. Now we know they had the tragedy uh, with Dwayne Haskins, the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, what else do they have on the roster there? Bubby Brister? I mean, who's going to replace Roethlisberger? Do you expect uh, uh, Pickett to start uh, for this team? It sounded like well, just yeah, we thought yeah, he might. Yeah, yeah. It'll be Mitchell Trubisky or, or, or Kenny Pickett. I, I okay. Right now, um, they did that move in the off season, and yeah, I think Kenny Pickett's going to have every opportunity to be the starting quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers Week One. Uh, that's why you go out and you get a first round quarterback to see if he has the goods to be able to to come in right away and be able to be the guy and be the guy not only for this year but for the entirety of his career. When you pick a guy in the first round, you don't want to have to cut him. You don't want to have to trade him. You want to be able to, to roll with him and be able to, to pile up some wins and pile up, you know, opportunities at winning championships. So that's, that's the expectation. I think when you're picked that highly, you know, anywhere in the first round, if you're a quarterback, that you're a franchise guy and you're going to be able to, to get the job done. So I would expect a, a huge competition this summer in, in training camp and, after preseason, see where you know the Steelers are because they're they're so good on defense, and uh, you know that kind of gets diminished because of all the scoring and explosive plays you see on offense and the way that the rules really cater to wide receivers and, and quarterbacks especially. But you can't discount what they have on defense, and I, I think that's a that's a really solid football team. Do all pit quarterbacks, you having been one of them, uh, and uh... Do they all dream about being drafted by the Steelers? Is there a point? Now, you're a Florida guy. Danny's uh, from the area there, right? So uh, yes. you would imagine that uh, – did he ever mention, hey, you know what, I always wanted to be a Steeler uh, coming out of school? Or uh, And and would you think that, uh, you know, Pickett, I know, I, you know, he wants to get drafted for sure, so any team will do. But um, is it a dream of Pittsburgh quarterbacks to be drafted by the Steelers? I don't know. I, I don't think it hurts, especially if you're from that city, you know, especially when you think about – and just take Dan for an example. He yeah. grew up in the heyday of, you know, the Steel Curtain and, you know, the City of Champions and and that that foot it was a football town and still is and and that team was winning a lot of championships becoming a dynasty of the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, 
when it's your turn to be drafted, wouldn't you say that that guy might want to stay home and, yeah. and play for his hometown team for sure? And especially now when you go full circle with, with the Steelers and the uh, Panthers sharing the same facility uh, for college kids are five feet away from the door of the Pittsburgh Steelers when they're walking in to go to work every day. You know, you, you see people coming off the practice field when you're going on. You see people, you know, going to lunch when you're going to lunch. And even though that, you know, the uh, there's a, a big wall that divides, you know, both facilities, you're, you know, you're actually integrated with each other because you're sharing the same footprint. So I, I think it's great. You know, James Conner had that experience a couple of years ago when he was a, a running back at Pitt. He gets drafted by the Steelers. He plays for them for a few years. I mean, it had to be a dream for him being born in Erie, Pennsylvania. So, you know, Kenny Pickett the same way, I would assume. Excellent stuff, as always, uh, John Kajemi. A pleasure uh, getting uh, to reconnect thanks, with you uh, again this week, live and in person. Uh, always a lot of fun. Uh, thanks for uh, juxtaposing uh, your uh, and moving your schedule around to accommodate us today. So uh, we'll talk to you again uh, next Monday. Work on Tommy Fox, my friend. Yeah, come on. I will. May will be perfect. Yeah. Sometime in late May, I think. Sounds just I think about Ruby right. had that indelibly, uh, you know, imprinted into the contract there uh, <laughs> that, that we would be making an appearance there. So I don't want to welch on that. And uh, a watch party uh, coming up uh, in town here, right, John. If you want to join us Thursday night, uh, we will be at Shenanigans in Dania. And uh, Mike Mayo will be puking over, uh, you know, whatever he eats and drinks because the Panthers hopefully will be up 2-0 after that game. But we're going to watch the uh, Panther hockey game there. And uh, so uh, – uh, it should be a lot of fun uh, being there. Yeah, right? yeah. On Thursday night, it all night, starts tonight. It. It, yes, all, it all starts tonight. And thanks for the invite on Thursday. I appreciate that. Yeah, and, and I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, Mayo's starting to hedge uh, a little bit. Uh, all of his bets about this dinner. So I'm not sure if you still have the the freebie invitation. But uh, you're welcome <laughs> to come and get a separate check <laughs> if you come on out. And if we're paying, forget about it, John. We'll uh, see you. No, I know. I'm staying yeah. home. I'll stay home. <laughs> All right, uh, John and Jimmy, great job as always. Thanks so much for being with us. It's always a pleasure, my friend, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again next week. Sounds great, guys. Thanks. Thanks John. All right, very good. John and Jimmy, ladies and gentlemen. Real gentleman, that John and Jimmy. Yes, uh, sir. Great, great guy. Tony Segreto, speaking of great guys, going to be with us tomorrow. Uh, we'll uh, talk to Tony about a lot of things. Uh, that'll be Old School with Tony Segreto, brought to you by Catholic Health Services and the great people at Texas Roadhouse Restaurants. Thursday, we'll do a little Hylia Park Trivia Challenge. Gurgle status. A little bit unknown right now, so I may have to really? come up with the questions. I, I, I've been actually making a few notes Okay, uh, to come up with some trivia questions here based on things that are happening, uh, even with Mr. Irrelevant movies. So there'll be a Mr. Irrelevant question okay. Okay. tomorrow <laughs> on the Trivia Challenge portion of the program. And, and then Friday, a Degenerate Friday, yep. and Professor Bradar, be it with the big board. And Kane Bradar, we have a nice one-two punch there with a Kane Bradar at 730 video. Oh, nice. And the professor, yeah. I guess, 745, 750. And then you got your mailman. So we had a nice full degenerate Friday as well. well and the status of mail will, will not be so up in the air. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if, it, if, it, if it's 2-0, he'll either be he may not want to come on. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to like, adjust the lighting at Mayo's house because uh, <laughs> we're not going to He'll be. either be down 0-2, right? I mean, there are only three possible scenarios, but yeah. it'll all be happening before he appears with us on Friday's yep. show, which is kind of cool, right? Yep. Two games and three nights. You have to love that right here in town. Love it. Florida Panthers opening round series, Washington Capitals. Uh, Mayo was speculating that Ovechkin was out for the series. 
which uh, turns out to be anything but the case. Ovechkin is fine. He's got all, he even has a new set of teeth, Ovechkin. <laughs> That's how fine he is. Beautiful choppers all across the front there. Okay. And so, so the uh, caps uh, are, are almost, uh, well, they're, uh, to play the Panthers, I think you have to lay 350 to win 100 in this series. Lay 350 yeah, to win 100, and uh, you get 260 uh, for 100 if the Caps win and you have money on them. So uh, the line, uh, very, very steep in favor of the Florida Panthers in this series, which is why I now have more respect for As much as he's uh, like Meshuggah, a paranoid hedge fun thinking the entire time, well, I'll bet them to win the first game and then lose the second game, and I'll bet them to win the third period. I'm like, Mike. Just, you know, be prepared to buy dinner. That, that's that's all we can say. <laughs> now, it's never good to feel too cocky about any I, wager. You know that, Luke. So I don't feel that way. I mean, they, just reading some very tepid commentary about how, uh, you know, they haven't won in the same logic that Mike's applying. Haven't won since 96. They were supposed to be real good last year. They got a tough draw with the Lightning, but they failed ultimately and didn't win the series. And how about this, Lube? Woo! They lost the first two games at home on their home ice. Well, they had go. the home uh, ice advantage in that series, and zippity-doo-dah, right out the door there. They went down 0-2. Now, they came back, made a series of it, looked like yep. they had a shot to win the thing, but ultimately were outclassed by the two-time now defending Stanley Cup champion uh, Lightning, who got clobbered last night by the yep. Toronto Maple Leafs. The Leafs, who haven't been good forever, right? All of a sudden, they're they're, they're dynamite. So, uh, going to be tough to get out of the East, but I do believe they get out of the first round. I believe that. And if we're wrong, I I <laughs> think that move. Mike Mayo can up his demands there. Because uh, you know we'll, we'll buy him dinner at Runway eighty four, but uh, we would probably also have to consider a suggestion of loser leaves town consideration here. Like. <laughs> Only if we lose, because I mean he's given us the price. So exactly. I, I respect them for that. All right, uh, so we'll have all that coming up on Friday, too. Uh, that'll be a lot of fun, and we'll know uh, the results. And, of course, uh, tomorrow night, uh, we'll also, or tomorrow's uh, show, we'll, we'll have the results of this first round. Yes. This, this is going to tell a lot about our confidence. If we yes. don't show up tomorrow, Libby, <laughs> you know why. Panthers lose 6 nothing on an Ovechkin, <laughs> not even a hat trick. He's got four goals it's in like the game. Every shot he takes goes flying by Bobrovsky. Oh, it looks like God. a blind man in the pipes there. All right, we have to run. Uh, we're doing a little overtime here, but it's good to be back with you guys. I uh, hope you'll join us again tomorrow. Google the Defoe Show. You can yes, find uh, the show. And then uh, what was this uh, little trick you uh, gave me about uh, finding it's the audio only if you're just in the car? Okay. <laughs> Defoeandluby.com slash live. I mean, it's a website. And it's nice Defoeandluby.com slash live. That's the whole thing. All right. And you get and our that's audio. It. And, and then you could plug that in in your car somehow it's while like the radio. telephone? Yes. Most cars, unless your car is... Made in 2005. Most cars do Bluetooth yeah. now where you would hear it through the car just like a radio. So there you go. So, have so unless your car was fished out of a canal after, <laughs> uh, you know, somebody had been drowned years later and then sold on a used car lot on 441. Exactly. You should be able to pick up the show by this uh, new modern technology. And it's very easy. Yes. Maybe not as easy as punching on a radio, but all you're getting is uh, scratchy uh, static anyway on the AM down. Right? A pigeon takes a crap. Boom, you're off the air. Exactly. We remember yeah. that syndrome. We all right. So we'll see you tomorrow at uh, 7 in the AM. Great to be with you guys. Thanks so much. You can catch us also on the Believe Network. That's B-L-E-A-V and Five Reasons Sports. We'll have, uh, no doubt, some John Kajemi uh, popping yes. up there, uh, Ethan Skolnick's thing. Skolnick's, uh, by the way, Scoop, did you see this? New he's Enterprise. doing a whole thing, yep. And he's still here with us, and he's going to be joining our show Thursday. 
Talk a little of heat basketball. Oh, yeah. Yes. I know. He's always great on that. Uh, I mean, he's right up there with Musk, this kid. Unbelievable <laughs> in communications now Doing after uh, Musk purchased Twitter. All right. We'll see you tomorrow at 7 in the a.m. Thanks for joining us, everybody. For Mike Luby Lubitz, back from a uh, wonderful vacation or so it sounded. I'm Jeff DeForest. See you tomorrow as we leave you now that. The time. It's 9.07. Let's go to eat a damn snack. Look what they've done to my show.